to the Batmobile. Let's go. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello and welcome to that horror show podcast with that dynamic duo of horror, Timothy Kaz and Christopher Koenig. When you think of horror, think of us. We are a podcast like no other. So sit back, relax, and enjoy that horror show podcast, if you dare. Hello and welcome to our sixth episode called That 80 Slasher Episode. I will be your camp counselor, Skippy Tight Shorts Kazda, and working with me tonight, my coworker, Knee High Tube Socks Koenig. <laughs> Tonight, we will journey back to the 1980s, where big coiffed hair, Daisy Duke short shorts, tank tops, and knee-high tube socks were the fashion trend for both the ladies and the men. And don't forget, cocaine was just flowing oh, in yeah. there. <laughs> so how are you doing tonight, Chris? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. It's, uh, you know, it's a great summer. We're sitting here by that campfire, roasting those s'mores. I, and, I uh, see you've got your, your, your swim trunks on. And... Oh, yeah, yeah. Ready to go in that lake, even though they say, be careful, there's an evil creature lurking out there and... And being told, don't go in those woods is a psychopathic slasher killer out there. But, you know... Crops, you'll get you. Yeah, but you know what? It's all part of the slasher film experience. I mean, we just... I mean, I got... We just came off being on a boat talking about Jaws. So it's like we go from one extreme to the next. <laughs> oh. oh, boy. Anyways, yes, Tim, how about you? How are you doing oh, today? Uh, this fine I'm, summer? I, I, I'm doing fine just trying to beat the heat a little bit. Um, but what, I'm, what I wanted to mention is that I'm pumped about the new Ash vs. Evil Dead television show. <laughs> yes, you showed me the trailer. For, uh, yeah. You told me about that, and I checked yeah. it out. Yeah. yeah. Now, it was released just last, last week. And if you didn't know, we posted on our Facebook page. Um, so I think it's going to be something really special. Now, during the Comic-Con, which is also about last week or so, they also let it slip that there very well could be a sequel in the works to Freddie Alvarez's 2013 Evil Dead film mm-hmm. in which Ash would team up with Jane Levy's character, Mia. Now, I one for one would love to see it. We'll just have to kind of wait and see on that one because we all know how Sam Raimi and you know Bruce Campbell are about you know anything. <laughs> Absolutely. They say one thing and it turns and, into something else. And I, I – and, well, we reviewed uh, the Evil Dead uh, 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 new version um, back when we had the back old during Sever the old Severpod days, and sadly we don't have that audio here to present to you. But uh, basically, I was not very enamored with the with the, with the new version. And in, in, in all honesty, all I got to say about the upcoming sequel to the new version is best of luck to Freddy <laughs> Alvarez and. Uh, Whoever else. I mean, who knows? It yeah. could actually be a fun and entertaining sequel, but I just am. I'm at that point where I've pretty much said to myself, sometimes you just really can't bring it back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, old man Koenig. Um, well, it's not <laughs> old man Koenig. It's just, I guess when you hold something dear to your heart and it stays dear to your heart, and then when you see someone else trying their best to, to recapture that, that, you know, basically trying to do it all over again, it's like, you know, like sometimes you just really can't bring it back. <laughs> I mean, you can try your best, but it's it's you know, recreation has now become the the theme of the day. You know, everything is a remake, everything is a reboot. It's like, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, but in regards to Ash versus Evil Dead, I did see the, the trailer for that, yeah. and it does look like it's going to be some fun. I mean, Bruce Campbell seems like he's doing. Having fun, like making fun of the whole bit involving him being an old man now right. and everything. Oh yeah, <laughs> so it, it's like it, you know, it, it, lo- it looks hilarious, and I mean, it looks just like the old, uh, old, I guess, Army of Darkness kind of yes. Evil Dead Mo- too, kind of Mo- like more on slapstick cute, and yeah, yeah. More on slapstick cute. and blood and guts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, so I mean, it looks like it's got some possibilities. I know 
way back when we, this was mentioned, I was kind of like, you know, everybody's like, ah, oh, come on, Chris. You know, I'm like, well, okay, fine, we'll see. But, yeah. I mean, again, I'm just kind of like, yeah. I don't know, you know. It's I, I saw the trailer, and, I, and I'm like, I'm, I'm excited for it. We'll see what happens. It's on Stars, so I may yeah. purchase Stars for the next two months just so I could watch right, the 10, right. 10 weeks or 10-episode yeah. series. Um, now, if you haven't had a chance to see it, the new trailer that I posted on our Facebook page or YouTube, I'm going to roll that trailer for you guys right now. So go ahead and enjoy the audio version of the trailer. My uncle is a shaman. When I was a kid, he would say, evil is always waiting in the shadows. And only one man would rise to stand against it. Yeah, looking good. Looking sweet. I'm going to tell you something I've never told anyone. 30 years ago, my friends and I spent the night at a cabin. We found the Necronomicon Ex Mortis, the Book of the Dead. Certain passages were recited. It awoke something in the woods. Something evil. was the only one to escape but now the evil has found me first thing i gotta do is see a guy about a book there must be some spell i can say to undo all this the other first thing i gotta do is some cardio because my heart is jackhammering like a quarterback on prom night here's the plan we bust in there Fight through the carnage, let the boomstick do the talking, things get hairy, use your bottle. Um, I don't think it's a very good weapon, Hefe. You had to stab like 50 times. I was sharpening it for you. Now, come on. You ready? I'm ready. Who the hell are you? I'm your new best friend. Yo, Granny. Let's go. I'm not a grief counselor, but if it's any consolation. You're kind of like a young me. Dead ice ruined your life, and you're hot as hell. You know they were Jewish, right? I, I did not. Wish you could have said something before I made those dumb crosses, but... Okay. Movie. 
Yep. I, I, I find it hilarious. There, there it is. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't have its moments. I do think it does. It's just, again, it's it's going to be based – I mean, we're basing stuff off the trailer. So hopefully yeah. hopefully the show meets some kind of expectations that, yeah. that we can have. And um, speaking of what I said earlier about not – about sometimes you just can't bring things Uh-oh. back. Oh, here we go. Uh, well, no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was talk, talking to you about this yes, before we started. I said yeah. I mentioned it. I did see uh, – because they, they posted this up like – a couple of weeks ago, or whatever, oh, or maybe yeah. a month ago, but the 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 pictures of the behind the scenes uh, uh, performers of the upcoming Ghostbusters uh, reboot. Yeah, yeah, I gotta be honest. And again, I I guess I have to do wait for my judgment for the trailer to come out. But I just I'm looking at the pictures, I'm looking at the cast, and I'm going, you know. Once again, there's just some things you just really can't bring back. And even though it's got a new new a different cast, it's like. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I'm really torn between it. I gotta be honest. I'm very torn between it. It's, it's. Truthfully, I, I like most of the cast. I don't know uh, one of the actresses, um, but I do. What I will say is, I, I don't. I didn't like the jumpsuits, um, but I did like the car. Car I, was okay, and, and I liked the proton packs. It looked a little bit different, but again, that's not a deal breaker for me. Yeah, I mean, in regards to the cast, and I know when they announced that they were going to have. I'm, I'm, Melissa McCarthy and right. the people involved. Everybody was kind of going on this whole wire women playing this, these yeah. these parts, and everybody is doing this whole. Everybody's fighting back, saying, "Well, what's with the whole misogyny?" Uh, truthfully, I have no problem with the idea of, of of it being a female cast. Neither right? do I. Do Neither I? Do I, I. I do have a problem with this. I do not like any of the female cast members. <laughs> I don't think they. I, I mean, I just I don't think. I mean, Melissa McCarthy is okay, but I mean, I I, I think. That, some of the female comedians that they brought in here are the type that rely way too much on ironic humor, <laughs> and and I, I I'm getting tired of ironic humor being the humor of the day or, or awkward humor. I I guess what I'm saying is what made the first Ghostbusters work is that it, it's it's the weird situations and the the dead the, the dead the deadpan reactions that you get from Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, oh, yeah. and the, I mean because it's it's a larger than life storyline, and you know I don't quite see these female characters going in that direction. I kind of have a feeling it's going to yeah. go into the whole... And they kind of gave them their costuming and their appearance look like this very meta, nerd look, and I'm kind of yeah. like, ah, oh, for Christ's well, sake. Just... Well, one, well, one actress, she almost looks like the female version of Egon yeah, from the old Ghostbusters looks, cartoon. And she looks like, you know, and she looks like you know, her hair is all wacky You're and right. everything, and I'm like, well, oh, come well, on. Do you, yeah. do you remember the old Ghostbuster cartoon where they had Egon had blonde hair and he had the red glasses? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. What yeah, yeah. I think that's what yeah. they were trying to go for. Yeah. I, I, again, I don't know. Uh, it's something I mean, we're going to have to wait till we just wait see till we something. see the trailer, yeah. But I, I just looked at the photos, and I'm just kind of like very underwhelmed. I mean, I'm not sitting there going, how dare it's women playing these roles like oh. other people are going. But well, then I'm you better like, stay off social media, Chris Boyd, because, man, oh, man, yeah, those Ghostbusters uh, fans will I mean, tear you a new one. I know, but it's like at the same time, like, but I just don't like – honestly, again, no problem with it being female cast, but I just don't like the female performers that they got for this. Like, I don't yeah. know why. Again, I, I, I don't know too much about all the female characters. The only one I really know about is uh, Melissa McCarthy. I know her work from Mike and Molly yeah. television show, and she was on the Gilmore Girls yeah. and a few other things. And she, and truthfully, as an actress, she's great, but she gets she – gets, I think she got pigeonholed into a few things where she play, plays the, kind of like the Chris Farley role. Yeah, no, she got pigeonholed in what I like to call the Will Ferrell syndrome, in which when Will Ferrell started out with Kicking and Screaming because that was, the, I think, the, the comedy that kind of helped bolster him a little bit. Okay. And then every other comedy that he does is basically nearly either the same concept right. or him playing the same role. That's shouting his lines. And right. that's oh, yeah, kind of what Melissa McCarthy feels. I liked her in Identity Theft. 
Mm-hmm. But I really despised her in Heat. And I See, know people, we, we flip flopped on I that know, one, Chris. We because, flip flopped on that one because everybody's like, "Ah, oh, Heat was funny." Like I and I reviewed Heat back yeah. in the seven five days, and I was like, I didn't find anything funny about that movie. You can you can shout your lines all you want, and you can swear all you yeah. want, but if you can't pull off comedy in some way, shape, or form, I mean, I'm not trying to sound like I'm that type of guy. I do like my tasteless comedy, right. and, and, and and when it works, though, right? You know, when it doesn't work. You know, you can sit there and say, well, hey, best of luck to you for sitting up there and doing all that. But guess what? It's got to have some effort. Yeah. Well, see, <laughs> see, now, I, I, I um, put it as uh, Melissa McCarthy doing the Chris Farley kind of thing. The fat guy yeah. falls down, shouting her lights. And, like you said, and, with and falling Farrell. over way too right. many times. Right, well, because that's what he did. I mean, he was he was he found success in Tommy Boy. Not so much with the following movie Black Sheep. I mean... Unfortunately, I think I know too much about Chris Farley's career. Well, and, and, and like with Black Sheep and and uh, Tommy Boy, it's like you can just exchange titles. Right. And it's the same movie almost, you know. And, it, and it's him and Dennis and, and, and David Spade yeah. playing the same parts. Yeah, and they might Nothing just call it Tommy Boy too. Yeah. You know? but um, no, I mean, again, I I guess we have to wait to see the trailer. But like I said, I was just kind of like looking at the yeah. pictures. I'm like, oh, well, all right, maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah, and I, and I didn't see her latest. Uh, Melissa McCarthy's latest film was it uh, Tammy. I thought that looked horrible, even from the trailers. Yeah, and again, it looks like she's playing the same part. <laughs> right, exactly. But I did want to see her in that new Bill Murray movie. That, I shouldn't say new, because I think it was released on DVD a few months ago, but I think it's called St. Vincent's. Don't quote me yeah. on that, but where she plays a single mother and he plays like the weird next-door neighbor, Bill Murray. So I think that, that looked really pretty Bill good. Murray can play. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. much Bill Murray doing these days as being a weird next-door yeah. neighbor. <laughs> but, th- but, that, but that looked like I had some promise, so yeah. I wanted to check that out. But And then... Um, Oh, Speaking of something, and again, talking about another thing, but there's just some things you can't go back. In this case, you don't want to go back to it because it never worked the first time. Yeah. Um, our, 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 um, our associate, Mark L. Risman, had pointed out to us through Facebook that uh, yes, <laughs> uh, there is going to be a violent shit the movie, which is essentially a new and updated version of the German, of the, of the German horror film from the early 1990s, a shot on video German horror film. The shot on G- German... The shot on video horror film that essentially played like any uh, short film that you used to make on a video camcorder with yeah. you and your buddies <laughs> on, a, on a weekend. <laughs> on a weekend, and it's a shame we don't have that audio again of us mm. from Sever Pod t- just tearing apart that movie. Yeah. But, but when we were sent this info, I was just like, "What? Why do we need this? It's yeah. just it looks awful." I mean, I mean, not. I mean, the mo- the new version of the movie looks like in terms of it's got visuals, some quality. It's yeah. got some production quality yeah, to it, yeah, but yeah. I, I really don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you showed me the trailer, and I was just like, "Yeah, okay. well, now that's the international trailer." And by the way, it's on our Facebook page yeah, right now. So, so good so luck if go you want to go it out. that route. But uh, it's just, I, I remember we, I just looked at that, and I'm like, uh, "Whose idea was this?" Uh, I mean, I think I would rather just take. Was the there a clamoring for violent shit? I don't think there was. E- even the title makes me sound like something I do in my bathroom well, every yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's also it's that that's the title of the German film. I'm like, wait, shouldn't it be called like Violent Scheiße or something? Yeah. Like that? I mean, it's like, why is it called Violent Shit? But it's just it's violent it, fecal matter. Oh god! <laughs> if anybody, if anybody wants to watch the original film. That's it's on your, YouTube somewhere. It's on YouTube somewhere. That's your choice, but we do not endorse it because it's just an awful movie. It is it's terrible. It's 90 minutes you'll never get back. How, how can you take an awful movie and remake it or modernize it? I mean, yeah, there's some movies that are destined to be remade because they don't work the first time. But violent shit plays like it's not meant to work at all. Like, you can just take the script and look at it and go, why would we want to put more money into doing Chris, this? Chris, it's today? diarrhea. It's, yeah, it's, di- <laughs> it's, it's diarrhea, basically. But yeah, I, I uh... if, if you see, if you get a chance to see the new film that or the, the trailer that we just posted on our Facebook page, it it looks kind of like a Jason meets 
Michael Myers kind of mashup with you know yeah. a, 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 a naked gal with a and, European flair, yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> but plenty of naked gals and everything, and I'm, I'm naked sure, ladies. Oh, lady! Uh, and I'm sure it'll just be all sorts of fun and excitement. And uh, who am I kidding? It's probably gonna suck. <laughs> it's, it's probably gonna be worse than the original film. Oh. But yes, that's our uh, that's our general discussion. <laughs> Do you have anything to add to that, Tim? <laughs> no, not really. Let's let, let's really end on a, a high note right there. <laughs> Good night. Okay. Good no. night, everybody. <laughs> but well, with that, let's flip on the old boob tube and find out what we watched for this past month, Chris. Hi, Mom. Chloe, welcome home. So is everything set for Dad's surprise party? Uh, he got called into work. Can I buy you a coffee? I'm waiting for someone. Uh, My dad. Hi, sweetheart. Hey. Welcome aboard PanCon Flight 257 to London. Flight time today will be six hours and 30 minutes. I love you. Plane have simply vanished. Chris, let me in! Chris! I know you all want answers, and believe me, so do I, and I'll do my best to get them. I heard some doctors talking. It's not just here, it's all over the world. One of these days the sky's gonna break Chloe, are you okay? Yeah, but Mom and Raimi, they're both gone One of these days the mountain's gonna fall into <sighs> Irene knew this was coming, the way it happened How could she know that? He took them to protect them From the darkest time in the history of this world would never do something like this. We all have a right to know if we're going to die. No, we're going to die. I have no spoilers, no flaps, no elevators, and if I run this thing dry, no reverse thrust. I need some room. I just really need you to know how much I love you, no matter what happens. Dad? like the end of the world one of these days the sky's gonna break and everything will escape and i'll know so who are we watching anyway her name is maria mcguire long brown hair brown eyes mm. 313 pounds 313 pounds let me see that i would imagine that's fully clothed oh my god how oh, she could be the house this is disgusting. I hate this job. Two undercover cops on the trail of an escaped killer, staking out the house of his unsuspecting girlfriend. I think she's gone on a diet. Everything was routine. Lucy, you got some planning to do. <laughs> Until one of them stepped out of line. I was supposed to be watching the house, right? So I was watching the house from the inside. Out of the shadows. What a bozo. And into the picture. I don't believe this. You like spicy? I love spicy. I'm going to kill him. You're nice. I'm not that nice. Look, Maria, there are things about me that you don't know. I don't know your name. 
Touchstone Pictures presents Richard Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez in a John Batham movie. Did we uh, practice safe sex? Probably, Probably not. not. Stake out. Who says a little danger can't be a lot of fun? Uh, do you want me to go first? Ah, uh, yes, please. Okay, because I'm very excited talking Ladies about first. this one. Ladies yeah. first. Oh, yes, yes. I'm very excited to talk about this one. I can tell. Uh, yes, I can tell. Yes. All right. So uh, the movie that I had watched recently is none other than Left Behind, made in 2014, directed by Vic Armstrong, written by John Pattis and John Lawn, and starring none other than Nicolas Cage. Now, uh <clears throat> If you've heard of the title Left Behind before, then you may recall that there was a film under that similar name made in the year 2000 featuring none other than Kirk Cameron. Show me that smile. Yes, and it told the story about the biblical prophecy of the rapture taking all the believers in Jesus Christ off the face of the earth, leaving behind the non-believers. Well, left behind, you know. So, And while the Kirk Cameron film has received accolades from bad movie lovers, for some odd reason it was decided to make a whole new film adaptation of Left Behind, but this time with a bigger budget and with an A-list star, Nicolas Cage, in the lead. Oh, I'm sorry, I meant... Former, <laughs> former A-list star Nicolas Cage in the lead. Let's be honest, the guy hasn't been in stuff great lately. But okay, so so then, let's get through this mess of a movie. Nicolas Cage plays Rayford Steele, an airline pilot who is having marriage issues with his wife Irene, played by Leah Thompson of Jaws 3D fame. Uh, it seems that Irene has gotten religion, and it's disturbed Rayford so much that he's contemplating having an affair with one of the stewardesses. Oh, I'm I'm sorry quote, female flight attendant, unquote, for those who are super politically correct. Rayford's daughter, Chloe, played by Cassie Thompson, arrives in hopes of getting together with mom and dad to work things out between them. But Rayford has a flight to London to deal with. Once after Rayford takes off in flight, suddenly people are disappearing and the whole world is in chaos. It also doesn't help Rayford that his co-pilot and some of the passengers disappear as well. If that isn't enough, Rayford's plane gets damaged in flight, and he has to land somewhere soon. And it's up to his daughter Chloe to help out. Uh, okay, look, putting behind, putting aside any aspects of religion and theology for this review, uh, as a movie left behind is just downright awful from beginning to end. What what we have here is a movie that wants to be meaningful on a spiritual level and tell a message, but any attempts expressing meaning and getting its message across doesn't get through thanks to lousy acting, bad writing, and dumb situations on display. Nicolas Cage looks like he's trying his damnedest to make the whole scenario believable, but he plays every scene like he's just too tired and uninterested in what's happening around him. And poor Leah Thompson comes off as if she doesn't even know what movie she's acting in. One scene plays like she just learned her lines when she stepped foot on the set, and it's just embarrassing all around for her. Uh, and once, when the rapture shows up and all that's left are missing people's clothes, the storyline just gets sillier and sillier with the whole flight and danger scenario 
uh, is like a unintentional parody of those late seventies disaster movies. You know, like Airport seventy seven. You know, we've we've seen those. Uh, even worse is Left Behind supposedly had more money invested in this production than the one from the year two thousand. But none of the investments show up on the screen. The interior plane set is very cheap looking with the flat lighting that doesn't make it look any better. Uh, while we have various scenes of people rioting in the streets who look unconvincing as the extras just run about screaming and crying in areas that don't even look like they've been destroyed at all. And you have lousy CGI effects that are just quite phony looking. Oh, and yes, yeah, side note for any fans of the 1985 horror movie Fright Night. Look for William Ragsdale in a brief part <laughs> as a co-pilot really? who is yeah who is given virtually little to do and ends up being beamed up to heaven. He was a lucky one, I guess. So, but yeah, Left Behind is just a mess of a disaster. It deserves all the derision thrown at it. And like with the careers of Nicolas Cage and sadly Leah Thompson, Aww. should be left behind. Ugh, yes, that's my review. Oh. Uh, so well, what do you have on the docket there, well, Tim? <laughs> I, I have less depressing <laughs> news. Oh, I hope so. Okay. Well, in keeping with our 80s-themed episode, I revisit a childhood favorite film of mine that I haven't seen in quite a while, probably not since I burned out my parents' VCR in the family room. I now recently purchased a DVD from Amazon about four months ago, and it sat on my shelf in the shrink wrap until about a week ago. That <laughs> film, ladies and gentlemen, is Stakeout. Let's see how it holds up after all these years. Oh, Stakeout. Oh, okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Not another yeah, Stakeout. Yeah, no, no, that, no, that, that's a pile. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Stakeout from 1987, directed by John Badham, written by Jim Coff, starring Richard Dreyfus, Emilio Estevez, Madeline Stowe, Aidan Quinn, Dan Laurie, and Forrest Whitaker. The film opens with a daring prison escape of convict Richard Stick Montgomery, played by Aidan Quinn, and his partner, Claro Reese, played by Ian Tracy. We are then introduced to Seattle police detective Chris Lisi, played by Richard Dreyfus, and Bill Reimers, played by Emilio Estevez, as they chase a suspect through a fish processing plant. The chase ends with the destruction of a forklift being driven off the pier and into the ocean by Bill, while Chris is covered head-to-toe in fish guts and the bad guy getting away. Needless to say, it was a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> when Bill and Chris finally get back to the police station, they are immediately called into the captain's office, played by uh, Captain Gills, played by Earl Billings, and FBI agent uh, Lusk, played by Jackson Davies. They inform Chris and Bill that they, along with fellow detectives Phil Colchank, played by Dan Laurie, and Jack Pismo, Forrest Whitaker, will be staking out the house of Richard Montgomery's ex-girlfriend, Maria McGuire, played by Madeline Stowe. Now, on the off chance that he may show up, Agent Lusk continues to tell them it's highly doubtful that Montgomery would risk coming back and he's more likely on his way to Mexico. But if they do, if the detectives do see any bad people to contact the FBI and not get involved because this is their case. Now, this doesn't sit too well with Chris because, as he puts it, he's a cop, not a security guard. If he sees some bad people, he might be too busy to make a phone call. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Despite that, he and the other detectives agree to do it. The only other problem is that Bill and Chris don't get along with Jack and, or Phil and Jack, uh, which provides for some great comedic levity during the stakeout. Phil and Jack do the, do the day shift while Chris and Bill get stuck doing overnights, camping out across the street from Maria's house, an old rundown house. While posing as a telephone repairman, Chris gains access to Maria's house put a bug on her home phones. He falls for her beauty and charm but doesn't do anything at first because he doesn't want to blow their cover. But a couple nights later, after a chance meeting at the local grocery store, things change. She and Chris meet at the checkout lane and strike up a conversation. As she's leaving the store, she looks down and sees that her bicycle has a flat tire, and she sees Chris, who's about to leave. She asks for a ride home, and as a thank you, she makes him dinner. Now, as this budding romance begins to bloom, Montgomery is en route to Maria's house. A few nights later, he arrives, and all hell breaks loose. It turns out, right before he went to jail, he stashed a ton of stolen money within her furniture— 
and he takes the money as well as Maria. He also takes Chris and Bill as hostages as he tries to make his escape. The film ends with a showdown in a lumber mill between Chris and Montgomery. Chris, with the help of Maria, kill Montgomery in a very anticlimactic scene. Three stars for all for the fun and good character development before the final reel. Now, what struck me the most about this film is that it was not only funny, but bo- both leads, Richard Dreyfuss and Emilio Estevez, have this incredible chemistry together, which makes their scenes together all that much funnier. You really get a sense that these characters are real, not some fantasy like in the other buddy cop action hero movies that were so prevalent during the 80s, with such films like Red Heat from 1988 or Tango and Cash from 89, etc. Not that those were really bad movies, it's just they never got the feeling that once the cameras quit rolling that those characters would still be cops in real life. And that's all I have. <laughs> Stakeout. Yeah, yeah. I think I... I, think I... I might have seen that one. But, you know, nowadays when I think of Stakeout, I think about if that's the name of a restaurant. So oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, actually, it's actually a fun 80s you know, film. Um, yeah, with Richard Dreyfuss and Emilio Vestavis, yeah. which is a quote, um, uh, the dad character in American Dad, Emilio! <laughs> <laughs> but, so, yeah. but, yeah, oh, i got to check that out again. Yeah. I didn't see it, it's yeah. really great. Unfortunately, they, it doesn't have a Blu-ray, Blu-ray release date, and the DVD that I got um, purchased for, like, five bucks has, like, no special features, not even a theatrical trailer. Yeah, well, I mean, if it, uh, it has at least a, a passable picture quality. It... Yeah, better, but it, it seems like almost like you were taking off super VHS. I mean, it, was, uh, it wasn't bad, per se, um, but just, it, was, it was shot in widescreen. They yeah, did have a widescreen. Just screen. an older transfer. Though, it would, so. Yeah, it was an older transfer, much older. Mm-hmm. And what's, what, what really sucks is that another stakeout, which is a horrible sequel, I mean, literally one of the worst, is... That's released on Blu-ray. Wait, another stakeout? Yeah. It, 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 it's from 93, I want to say. It's, it has Richard Dreyfuss and Emilio Estevez, but they also bring along Rosie O'Donnell for... Oh. And it's just awful. It's literally just oh. dog shit. It's not good. Um, stick with eight, stick with this, but Touchstone Pictures, I don't know who needs to... Who does their DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever releasing, but they need to get on a stick and yeah. release that. Yeah. But I don't think it's that big of a priority. Yeah, I gotta check it out. It sounds like it's a lot of. Fun. I mean, I think it sounds familiar to me. I might have seen it, but I don't know. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Like I said, that when I was a kid, I watched it all the time. I, I had taped yeah. it. I had the television version. I taped it off television. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I was like the edit severely edited for television. <laughs> Do they contain any alternate scenes? They just like slap in there just because they have to pad out the stuff they cut out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably did. But what they there was like a, a scene where Emilio Estevez says, you know, called. Um, Richard Dreyfuss, like a boner or bonehead. But in the te- television version, they, they said, oh, he's such a bonehead instead of boner. I was yeah. like, was that such a big thing? back? Yeah, I guess yeah. back in the day it yeah, was. Yeah, I guess it was if it was going to regular network television. So tell me about uh, what was the final conclusion with um, Left Behind? Uh, the final conclusion of Left Behind was that the, they were that? left behind. Oh, yes. Well, uh, Did they find the characters? Were they, no, did they, they find... did not. No, no. I mean, look. Uh, the sea I, serpent take them or something? No, no. I knew this. I had heard. This movie being pretty bad, so of course, naturally, occasionally in my life, you see it, you go, you know what? Let me check it out. Maybe it is as bad as everybody says. Yeah, it was as bad as everybody said it was, and it was even worse. Um, and I got to be honest, I felt a little cheated. I thought Left Behind, the title was uh, going to be involve something about my life, but uh, <laughs> I was, I was pretty. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, folks. But no, it was, it, it was just, oh god, it was awful. It's, it's, it's the movie that you have to ask yourself. How an actor like Nicolas Cage, who I'm not a big fan of, but he did do some some good movies in his life. How you go from being a relatively like high quality A list actor 
to doing a movie like this. I mean, yeah, I know it's the paycheck and everything. Was but... it was it was this a direct? Uh, was this a uh, was this ever theatrically released or was this? A, I think a direct to video. No, I think it was theatrically, but in smaller areas. Okay. I don't recall it playing anywhere near. I know. There. I know the like. I think the original Left Behind with Kirk Cameron that was like a direct. Yeah, video Well, I, I was reading about that. That that was a direct to video, but then after it was released to video, they it got re-released in some theaters. Oh, okay. So I I don't know, but. I've never seen that version of the film. I was actually contemplating to watch it as a comparison piece, but after watching this new version of it, I'm like, no, I can't do that. I, I can't a, torture myself. As I really much. make it a point never to watch anything that Kirk Cameron's yeah. in. I mean, I, I can be a glutton for punishment whenever I want to be, but I, I know when to stop, okay? <laughs> I know when my stop point is. You, you got know? your safety word? Oh, safety, safety word was uh, the end. <laughs> and I was like, good. <laughs> I can get up and leave. I can take this thing back and use it, or I can, or I can save the. The family video, which carried this, uh, a little bit of trouble and used it as a frisbee. But yeah, it's it's just bad all the way around. I mean, like how bad this is. Okay, picture this for a minute: the riot scenes. Okay, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be like a, a a riot of people like on the loose because you know people are disappearing and like crazy shit's happening. You know, and whenever these people are on the street, it just looks like they just block off like a, a section of a street. But nothing's been damaged, you know? Like, Or if you do get a damage, you mm-hmm. get, like, maybe, like, one car overturned. And then there's a scene where his daughter is, like, in an abandoned street. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she drives off in a car, in the background you can see a bridge with traffic moving regular. So, so it's like... The production quality isn't that great. It isn't that great. And it was supposed to, supposedly made for more money. But it's like... And, and make it look like the street's desolate and that there are people, like, in that one shot I'm telling you about mm-hmm. where you can see traffic and the bridge further away. Mm-hmm. They have like an ambulance drive by to kind of remind us. Yes, there are people that are getting hurt and everything. Okay. And it's like, it's it's. But the street doesn't even look like it's been damaged. It's just like a regular, you know, cordoned off street. So it's like, what's the point? I mean, well, and then you well, know, well, well, did they give any uh, relation to the rapture or anything yeah? Like that, but or? but here's the thing: what they did, they just people disappear because if people, people just disappear, yeah, then people things just, wouldn't be like blown up. Yeah. Or on well, fire. most of the action involving trying to figure out what happened takes place, of course, on the on the on mm-hmm. the jet with Nicolas Cage and how he finds out is actually pretty funny in itself because he, he looks at his co-pilot's watch mm-hmm. that's left behind, you know, cause yeah. when you get beamed up, your clothes and stuff left behind all your valuables yeah. and whatnot, you know, and, Screw it, I'm taking my watch with me. <laughs> yeah. So he picks up the watch and he looks inside it and inside the watch, there's something like, like a, like a biblical, like John 18, something. Okay. And then he grabs one of the, the stewardesses, sorry, female flight attendant. Lady uh, on the plane. Lady on the plane. <laughs> a lady on the plane, you know, who takes care of you and gives you drinks and refreshments. Um, you know, the one girl has disappeared, so he looks in her diary, and it says in her diary, Bible class on Sunday, and he finally figures it out. And I'm sitting there going, that is without question one of the dumbest ideas to try to figure out. I mean, at least have someone who's, like, maybe fallen from grace, you know, realize what it is, you know, oh. and, and say to him, I think I know what it is. And, and when he has to explain to the other um, flight attendant who he's going to have a relationship with or whatever, or going to have an affair with, you know, it's like he's trying to be really serious about it, but I just could not help but just crack up and laugh at him because it's like, <laughs> it's like how it's written, how it's played off. It's like Nicholas Cage is really trying his best to make it interesting, right. and it just goes nowhere. And it's like the whole movie goes nowhere because it, it feels like they're trying to make it like this big end-of-the-world saga, and yet it just feels so limited. Oh, wow. <laughs> even though it's made for a lot of money and I'm like, oh God, but yes, Left Behind, if you want a good laugh, folks, you can just watch it and 
just chuckle your way through the whole thing. But so I can't watch Cheers instead. <laughs> if you want to watch Cheers instead, I'm, I'm sure Cheers is like you know. Oh, oh god! Okay. But, but I mean, yeah. Left. Oh, I mean, and yes, folks. For for my bad, re- for my negative review of it, yes, I checked it out because I wanted to see how awful it was, and it truly lived up to that expectations and then some. <laughs> okay, Chris, your homework assignment for next episode is to find a movie or something that you actually like. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just when I uh, – To watch – because it sounds like torture just to watch something. I know, but it was just – it's one of those things. You just – you look at it and you go, well, hey, let's just see. And if you can run it for cheap, which is what I did, then, you know, the more power to you. But but also take this review as a warning to the world. Please don't watch this movie. I had to watch it for Beware, you. Beware. It has Nicolas Cage in it. Yeah, I had to watch it for you. There you go. You know, <laughs> Chris has taken the bullet for you. I did. Not, not really much of a bullet, more like a like a like a bomb strapped to my chest. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Don't watch this please. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> he sacrificed himself oh, to save God. everybody else from the of the world from left behind. Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Jesus. Well, this movie is also an yeah. insult to Jesus, too. So, I mean, come on. You know? All right. So, All right. with that garbage out of the way and with Tim's excellent review well, let's, out of the way. Yeah, let's get the, to the meat and potatoes of yeah. the of the 1980s slasher, you know. Yes. Let's go. Chris, why don't we run that trailer for The Burning from 1981? Oh, let's roll it away. Oddly, seems familiar to another movie. Yes, yes, yes. That came out about a year beforehand. Yes. Well, actually, before you begin your review, as I don't know if you have any trivia for it. Oh yes, I have tons. But oh, go tons ahead. It, but if you spoil one, that's okay. No, I um, I was listening to the commentary for the burning, or not, not the commentary. Maybe it was the commentary, or the special features. Special features, but somebody did say that. Uh, uh, the film's producers, yes, future producers Bob Weinstein and Harvey Weinstein claimed that they wrote the script before Friday the 13th. Of course they did. Well, yeah, well, take it with a grain of salt, folks. But, uh, yes, that's what they. That's what the claim was. But, 
Yes, Tim, why don't you uh, fill uh, our listeners in? I'm sure they know what The Burning is about, but in any case, just fill us in with what this movie is. Okay, so The Burning from 1981, directed by Tony Malem, written by Harvey Weinstein, Tony Malem, and Brad Gray. They're credited with the original story. Screenplay is credited with Peter Lawrence and Bob Weinstein. Starring Brian Matthews as Todd, Brian Backer as Alfred, Larry Joshua as Glazer, Leah Aries as Michelle, Jason Alexander as Dave, Carolyn Houlihan as Karen, Fisher Stevens as Woodstock, <laughs> Lou David as Old Cropsey, and introducing Holly Hunter as Sophie. Yeah, which her part goes by real fast. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to make a mention that. Yeah, you have to really, really watch it. She's credited as her first movie role, but I think she like screams like once. It's yeah. like a quick scene. I I watched the movie probably about three or four times, and I've only met Selena once. And I heard a rumor that she doesn't even include this on her resume. Which At one sh- time she didn't, yeah. but I, I checked Internet Movie Database, and it's now on there. Yeah, but I'm sure she's like, I don't, and I would, and if I ran to her, I'd say, "Oh, come on, give it a break. It was your first movie role. <laughs> come on, <laughs> just acknowledge you were in it, please." So, <laughs> Anyways, yes. Hello and welcome to Camp Blackfoot, a wonderful summer camp to send your hooligan children to. Five young strapping lads decide to play a practical joke on the camper's caretaker, a man named Cropsey. From the discussion had between the boys, Cropsey was a real asshole to everyone, and plainly put, was just a bully. So one night they decide to play a prank on old Cropsey by sneaking into the caretaker's quarters, which looks like a maintenance shed with a cot. <laughs> That's where he sleeps, fellas. <laughs> they find him asleep or passed out drunk, whatever. One of the kids sneaks in and takes out a fake human skull from the box. I know, scary. In the skull's eye socket are candles, which once lit reveal worms crawling all over. <laughs> the boy then sneaks out of the maintenance shed. He rejoins his friends on the outside, and they begin to pound on the windows, waking up Cropsey. Cropsey screams and unintentionally knocks over the skull, setting the bed on fire and burning it. And then a nearby gasoline tank explodes, spreading flames all over the cabin. Cropsey runs out consumed in flames and falls down a small hill into a nearby lake. Cool scene, though. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Everyone assumes he's dead. A week later at St. Cathedral's Hospital, an orderly at the hospital takes a nerdy doctor intern to see a man badly burnt who was lucky to survive as the orderly stands by the curtain to the oxygen tent Cropsey's scorched hand clutches the orderly who screams in dread then we fast forward five years Cropsey is being released from the hospital boy he's got some great HMO <laughs> stuff <laughs> yeah he's been there for five yeah. years <laughs> the, the audience here the audience overhears the doctors and nurses talking to him telling the skin grass didn't take and he should go on to try to live a normal life and not be consumed with revenge or hate <laughs> I, I will admit that is one part of the movie where you're just like, okay, now come on. <laughs> okay, well then the end. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, still. It's okay, like, <laughs> so go on. Yeah, sorry. no, no, it's okay. Cropsey is dressed all in black and hides in the shadows. As he walks down the street, we see from his point of view that he has met a hooker, and she takes him back to her place. When he see, when she sees what he looks like, the hooker screams and tells him to leave. Boy, but she's a real piece of work too. Boy. I <laughs> I'd scream and look at her, too. <laughs> looks like she's been put out with a rusty oh, rake. Um, Drug-induced. <laughs> yeah, it looks like her, her, it looks like her face was lit on fire and put out with a rusty yeah, rake. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he, anyway, he flips out and they struggle. He grabs a pair of scissors and stabs the hooker to death. Oh, cropsy, cropsy, cropsy. Uh, several th- days later, Cropsy arrives at the camp, Stonewater, watching, waiting, and planning his attack from the outskirts of the property. We are then introduced to a cast cast of young camp counselors and kids. So let's discuss the film of The Burning, Chris. Yeah, you know, um, I have to be honest. Uh, I, Well, this the, – the, the slasher genre kind of was like 
on the full upswing at this point yeah. by the early 80s, and that was mainly because of Halloween and um, Friday the 13th. Um, the burning, uh, I got to be honest, I do like the burning a little a, a little more than, say, Friday the 13th. I don't have any bones against Friday the 13th. Mm. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I'm not a big slasher aficionado either. I don't hate the genre, but, I, I mean, like, I can take it through basically what, what they're giving. I mean, basically, what I'm saying is that the slasher genre occasionally has some films that are good and some films that are oh, yeah. not good. And, and, well, and, and in, the all... 80s, in the 80s, you got a ton of movies. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it's like you're just, and you're sifting through. And, yes, Friday the 13th is always up there. Halloween's up there. Nightmare on Elm Street's up there. I think The Burning kind of sort of deserves to be up there, too, because it's really one of the few that, yes, it's very similar to Friday the 13th, but on its own, it's actually pretty yes. decent. And, and, and actually, I've got some fun facts at the end. I don't want to give it away right now, yeah. but that, that that kind of make it different than Friday the 13th. Yeah, it, it, it's it, very similar because it takes place at a camp. Yeah, yeah. But, but it feels different because I, I think the one reason why I like this movie a lot more than, say, the first Friday the 13th is I, I actually like the characters more in this movie. I mean, they're not the most drawn-out characters, but they are the most energetically played characters. I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Like, you've got a young Jason Alexander who's, like, very amusing to watch in this oh, yeah. movie. He's, and he, he's, he's one of the best parts. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and, and I like his character. You've yeah. got uh, Ned Eisenberg in it playing Eddie who's, like, trying to get the one girl. Uh, yes, and yes. He, and again, I like The creepy his, guy. Yeah. One of the creepy oh, guys. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, no, no. Oh, no, that no, was, that's, that's Alfie. That's, yeah, Alfie. Yeah. that's Alfie. You know, I, I like Ned Eisenberg's character. I like Fisher Stevens' character. I even like Brian Backer, who plays Alfred the Perv in this film, because yeah. you do feel bad for him, kind of, yeah. even though you don't quite know what's what's with him. Well, that, that and even Larry Joshua to a, as Glazer. Yeah, as a, he, a, 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 as, he's not a likable character, yeah. but you do sort of like kind of like him later on because yeah. right before he gets right it, before he gets it because. You know, I mean, he's the tough guy, but then he's trying to have his way with the one girl, and you know, and 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 it just doesn't quite go as planned, and you, you can just right. I mean, even the even some of the lesser I wouldn't say lesser, but the the lesser known stars, or shouldn't say lesser known stars, but lesser known characters because they're not as drawn out. But even Tiger, I like Tiger, the, yeah, the, little, yeah. the little girl who was or the t- young teenager girl that she was playing softball, and she just seemed like a very interesting character if they kind of flushed her out a little bit right, more. Right, right. And I, and I like the camp counselors, too. I like Brian Matthews' character. I like Lee Ayers' character. I mean, like like yeah. I said, they're not the most drawn-out characters, but you you like them because they actually have more energy here, and, and you wish there was more backstory on some of them. I mean, you can only inject so much of that in the 80-minute right. slash movie. But... I just like these characters, or at least the actors that are playing these characters, a lot more than, say, the performers in um, Friday the 13th, yeah. you know. Well, Friday the 13th only had a few um, – probably only – Adrian King was the only one that – and she was played the the, the main yeah. heroine that yeah, yeah. you could really feel for. And, uh, you, know, you felt for all of them, but, I mean, like I said. It's... Right, right. And I'm not trying to discount Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah. No, I know you're not. It, it, it is one of the films that helped jumpstart that genre. I just think, you know, it's like in the dream world – Replace the characters from Friday the Thirteenth with the characters from The Burning, and and you have something. You have a little more energy, I, I right. think, because I think the energy is there in this movie. Because I, it does sort of also have like a, a kind of a slow burn to it. Because once we get past Cropsy killing the hooker, mm-hmm. it's just set up with the, right. the characters. Because because then you go you go from the the killing of the hooker, and then you go into the, like this like oh they're playing softball, they're having fun. It's it's like the, the, you know the, the young guys are trying to get the girls, and it, yeah. it just it's very. Um, Organic, yeah, yeah. It, it feels very natural and very. It doesn't feel forced, is yeah, what I'm saying. It so, 
Uh, I, I get that. And then you almost feel for where they're playing and you see Cropsey hiding in, I guess, the, I wouldn't say bushes, but hiding in the forest yeah, where yeah. they're playing the softball which game. Is, which is kind of typical of that because you get that false shock where they're playing softball and the one girl runs out right. there and he comes out there with those garden shears and all of a sudden, oops, no, she's going to go back. Right. <laughs> she finds a softball like like seconds before, you know, Cropsey, you know, decides to yeah, try yeah. to kill her. And you know what? Let's talk for a moment about Cropsey here. Now, this is kind of the part of the film that, like I said, because we talked, you, you mentioned it in, in your uh, synopsis yeah. here, and that kind of throws it off a little bit because I was like, oh, come on, you know. And that's when, okay, so basically when we're introduced to Cropsey, he's played by Lou David. Yeah. Uh, and that, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, when we see him, you know, he just looks like some drunken bum. I mean, right. I mean, he doesn't quite look as threatening well, as they make him out to be. And, that, no, and that's no offense to Lou David. He's... Because he did, he does play Cropsey throughout the rest of the movie, and he does a pretty good job, even with the you know the resulting makeup effects from Tom Savini. But it's just when you look at him in the opening sequence, it's like, yeah, yeah. I don't see anything threatening about him. He just looks like some drunken weirdo, and right. maybe that's what they were trying to go for, maybe, but not quite but succeeding in that. I also felt kind of bad for Lou David too because <laughs> he doesn't really appear too much in the movie. It's almost all from the POV yeah, of the character, yeah, or the point yeah, of view yeah, of the character. Yeah, 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 I'm like. And then when they do the kills, um, it's basically all Tam Savini. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because all you do is you see the shears. Right. And do you, do you when these kids play this prank on him, when he gets burned, you think they would have just said, oh, shit, we better call the cops. No, they're like, no, we got to leave. We yeah. got to leave. Yeah. yeah, some guy's, and, you know, on fire. And it's like, what happened? Do they get, like, reprimanded for that whole thing or what? I mean, <sighs> it just goes out the window. And then when you get to the hospital, like, once he leaves the hospital after five years, the part of that film that doesn't work very well yeah. is when the doctors are telling him through the voiceovers, yeah. you don't be thinking about vengeance yeah. now and it's like well way to just telegraph that right through right. the movie right. <laughs> right. well that that and the fact that they say oh the skin grafts didn't take so you're already you're already getting yeah we already this. get that idea across. i mean the guy is we saw him on fire literally yeah. head to toe on fire that guy should be dead yeah we, even if the skin grafts did take he's still gonna look very but dis- then, you know, mangled but then it's it's ridiculous because if he wants to go get revenge they tell him don't get revenge, but of course you know automatically. Well, of course he's going to go get revenge. Yeah. What's the movie about? But then he goes to a different camp, right? And, and, it, and we don't understand why until probably almost the end. Yeah, and yeah. Well, we, we won't get there just sort yet. of. But yeah. and then the other thing is the death of the hooker scene. It's a pretty grisly death sequence, even for just a simple scene of. Um, of Cropsey taking the scissors and sticking it in their stomach, right. you know, it's a nicely done Tom Savini yeah. effect, right? But I do have to say, I, the lady played the hooker was just completely like, hard on the eyes, hard on the eyes, and hard on the performance too. <laughs> I Whoa. mean, jeez, just Ugh. I mean, so and, and I know why. And for any of you listening out there, you're saying, "Well, Chris, you're speaking highly of this movie, but now you're criticizing the opening." But you got to understand. That's just the opening part of it. I mean, right. it, it's it's shaky. There are some shaky moments in this movie, and, but to be, by... and to be honest, I mean, all, not all the hookers. She wasn't a Hollywood hooker, you know. Yeah, she was, she yeah, was supposed yeah. to be this like dried up raisin of a person. Yeah, it's like... yeah, yeah. But her performance still didn't quite yeah. go for it. Now, and like I said, though, even though the opening is kind of shaky, it's when you get into the rest of the film, that's where it really does pick up. I think. Yeah. You know, I feel. Because like well, I said, once they get to the campsite and, you, and you're yeah. introduced to the you're introduced to Fisher Stevens character Woodstock, yeah, and you're introduced and you're to, to Jason Dave, Alexander yeah. and all those guys. and and the girls and the you know, obviously you know some um, some boob shots in the shower. Oh and, yeah, yeah. Or you, that you slow motion shot of that one girl running. 
<laughs> you know, you cannot have a great slasher movie without some good TNA. Yeah. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, and it does deliver some of that. I mean, it doesn't go overboard, though. No, it, no. It, it, it's, it's very, I think it's very kind of conservative. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of very tastefully done for, yeah. for, for a slasher movie, <laughs> you know, surprisingly. And then you've got, like, uh, the nice camaraderie you have between Jason Alexander, Knight Eisenberg, and Fisher Stevens and Brian Backer. And then I love their... Their, their brief confrontations with Glazer, uh, Glazer played by Larry Joshua. Where they, where they take out like a BB gun and yeah, they, yeah. Like, shoot him in the butt. <laughs> and, it's, and it is funny and, and, and it's kind of silly but it's like but this is camp and, and, these, and these feel like actual kids right. you know playing you know right. kids. And, and that, that also brings back the camaraderie to like you know I remember I remember back when I went to summer camp and it was kind of like the same thing maybe not to yeah. that extent obviously yeah. but well were you guys smoking cigarettes and reading porno mags <laughs> no, no not that far not that far. but again we weren't the camp counselors we were the kids oh so. yeah the kids yeah. oh no no but the kids are doing it too and that's I, I love the scene in there where they're reading the porno mags yeah. and they're smoking cigarettes you know, like one, or at least one of the girls is smoking cigarettes, right. and you know, uh, Glazer's like, "Man, you guys, you guys are sitting there reading those dumb girly magazines. Man. Nothing's better than having the real thing." And then Jason Alexander comes up and says, like, "I got your rubbers for you." And he goes, "Yeah, you got my no, you got the wrong one. These are unlubricated. I want lubricated rubbers." And you know, and, and Alex is like, "Well, then you don't get unlubricated rubbers." <laughs> and doesn't he make it? A- and, and doesn't he make a, uh, a a statement about the cost of a lubricated rubber yeah, versus yeah, non-lubricated the cost rubbers? Yeah, yeah, up. <laughs> but it's but I love that. I mean, it's 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 silly and it's ridiculous because it 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 injects like the classic, you know, um, well, classic or cliched if you want either one of the whole camp setting where you got like these you know these young guys and they're all ready to get up with the girls and you have them joking around. But I just love because it, it just feels fresh and it does feel. It feels organic and funny. Right. It doesn't feel forced. Doesn't feel like you know it's typical material to have in the script. Right. It's like it, it works because the performances work, and that's why I love the characters. Yeah. I mean, they're fun. So, <laughs> so basically, as we continue on with the story, um, we find out that there's going to be a, a I guess, last fling uh, canoe ride. Yeah, canoe ride. And uh, down the river, yeah, which and... looks fun in all the montage yeah. scenes because they're all having fun. They're like, yeah. yep, told now, you. Now, <laughs> I, I, I want to bring this up because. This is one part I I, I I don't didn't like and I'll never like it. So don't you know don't don't send me the hate mail. But uh, bluegrass music does not belong well, in a horror movie. Period. It doesn't belong in a horror movie, but it, it, it's 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 a nice scene where they're they're, yeah, they're having I, fun. I get that. If you play dreadful music throughout, you'd be well, like, no, oh. no. I'm not saying I'm not saying dreadful music. You can play happy music, but just not like this southern hillbilly. Bluegrass music, and I got nothing against bluegrass music because I'm a big—I was a big Dukes of Hazzard fan, I still am. Yeah, yeah. And that's all bluegrass. You're music. just looking they, at it where it's necessary. Yeah, where it's necessary, and it's like this. I mean, you could play an upbeat, like light music, but to me, when you play bluegrass music, and they, they do it in a few horror movies, and that's—it and just, it just kind of takes me out of it. it makes they should have—they should have played. The, I'm expecting Ned Beatty to come out. I was going to say they should have played the, <laughs> the, the, They should have played the, the the banjo theme in, in the Deliverance, doing banjos. <laughs> yeah. And oh. then you just know right then and there it's going to go ugly. Oh, so, shit, something's going down. <laughs> it's going to get ugly. <laughs> but um, Someone's going to get butt raped. So, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and then Burrell shows up with that crossbow. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, John Voight. And the guy goes, like, you sure got a pretty looking mouth. <laughs> and John Voight's like, holy shit. Oh, okay, but get, let's, let's, let's get yeah, away let's from get the, the butt so, sex. And... So, so, so 
they get to this, so they get to like further away from camp, and they're they're having the the campfire, and right. of course they tell, and of course the, the Legend of Cropsey, uh, yeah, Todd played by Brian Matthews tells the Legend of Cropsey, and it's a nice scene. It's actually a very creepy scene. I do love the bizarre. It's a joke, obviously, right. but I love the bizarre payoff of it because it's. Um, it's. I think it was Woodstock that scared them. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, no. No. It was. I think all of them. No, that Eisenberg. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that Eisenberg scares them because yeah. he, he jumps out with the jump mask. Out with and the mask. And the, and the, it is. And the it's the silly mask, but he's got the knife and it sets you up for that. But oh. it, it it does. I, I like that scene because it does sort of like again fit with the mold of like you know, young campers trying to have a fun and time. I, and, and I, th- I don't, don't quote me if I don't quote me if I'm wrong or quote me if I'm wrong. But isn't that where Holly Hunter makes her appearance? I think so. Because she, I think she's one of the girls. Around the campfire, that screams. She, may, I don't even think it's a line. It's like ah, and then that was about it. I mean, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. a, it was almost like a flash. It goes frame. by fast. So I, yeah. I tried to like research it and Google it, like finding when when she showed up, so I could tell you, dear listeners, where she pops up. Yeah. So if you want to, if you ever wanted to find out, yeah. So but, but we can't. So you're kind of on your own, folks. Yeah, so <laughs> if you want to like email us, yeah. that'd be great. Just tell us, guys. She's in this shot right here. It's so obvious. Yeah. At, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> at the 34 minute mark or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And you know. we're like, look, we're 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 watching all the other characters. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we're trying to get into it. <laughs> so but so anyway, this is this perfectly sets up. You know, they they tell the legend of Cropsey. Yeah. And it perfectly sets up the rest of the film. Yeah, because so. they're out there in the woods all alone, right. campfire. You know, a night of romance between two uh, young or, lovers. Or, yeah, attempted romance between Ned Eisenberg and that one girl, and it just goes horribly wrong for it, him. It, <laughs> was that Glazer? Or? No, 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 no. Oh, it was no. First, it was oh, Ned Eisenberg yes, and yes, the one yes, girl. That's right. Yes, yes. Because they were going to take a swim in the lake, and they yeah. do, and then, of course she's like rebuffing his advances. Oh, and he yeah. gets pissed. Yeah, I don't know who to really root for in that because it was kind of a yo-yo between both of those. Like, yeah, I kind of rooted for Eisenberg's character because she's well, like, she won't she? You know, well, but she was like just being, and he's like just trying to be nice at first, and he finally just gets pissed and tells right. him to go fuck off. Right. And yeah, he kind of got a little vicious at that point, but it was like, was she the first death? She, I, she, I think she's the first death in this. Yeah, yeah. She's the yeah. I think she's the first death in the camp in this. Yeah. And her death scenes, you know, it goes by. It's just a throat slashing yeah. and that type of thing. Well, so it's, it it's the first one, fast. so it's 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 just warming you up for the yeah. rest of it. It gets much bloodier because you're already like, wow, we're we're into this so far. All right, let's see where it goes. Right. So, um, and then we get to the part where you know the rafts, the the canoes are gone. Yes. So now they're like, well, we got to get back. If we walk, it's going to be X miles. And they said, well, and, there, just... and there was a there was a, a short thing where they're like, well, why would she take all the rafts? Because they thought maybe yeah. she she maybe took a canoe back to the camp. You know, yeah, which which is kind of it's kind of odd because they're like, well, why would she take all these things right. and everything? Because they're all like, maybe she was upset and like, yeah, would she be? But she wouldn't strand the entire. Yeah, you know, like would she take? I would have had, you know, you'd be thinking to yourself, well, would she, she really should... be that upset to take all the rafts? Yeah, she'd, ta- she'd take one <laughs> take to get back. Canoes. She'd, t- she'd take one canoe to get back home. Yeah. So they decide to make a raft and they yeah, which is hilarious. I yeah, just, yeah. I love that montage where they're getting, gathering all the wood. Yeah, well, you got to do it somehow. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's like okay, yeah, scene X eighty five, build a raft. Yeah. All right, well, just get some wood, guys. I mean, they do a pretty good job building that raft. Oh, no, it's they, amazing. They, they do. So they send some kids off, and also containing the characters of Ned Eisenberg and Fisher Stevens, and they come across one of the rafts, yeah. which I got to say, and again, like I said, I one like of the, these, One of the canoes, not rafts. They're, well, they're, 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 they're on the raft. I'm sorry. They, yeah. they, I'm sorry, folks. They get on the raft, and they find one of the canoes left behind. Yeah. And... Um, I, I gotta tell you, I really feel bad for these kids on this oh. on this raft because once they get to that canoe, yeah. Cropsy shows up and just starts hacking away. Right. And, and it's it's uh, called the Raft Scene Massacre. Yeah, God. And now I want to just I know you're not a big Star Wars fan, but you've probably seen A New Hope, right? I've seen yeah the, 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 the fourth yeah, one, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. with um, 
you know Luke Skywalker become mm-hmm. before he gets into the you know battle with the Rebel Alliance. Yeah, yeah. Um, or the dark side. Anyway, so in the Raph Massacre scene, there's a shot where Cropsy, right before he attacks, you know, holds up the you know the the garden shears, and, and you know they, it's a free almost like a freeze frame of him mm-hmm. before he starts attacking. Now this looks very similar to the shot used in Star Wars: New Hope, where Luke is attacked by the Sand People. If you remember that, <laughs> where he's holding up like the the stick, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And before Obi Wan Kenobi comes around and saves him, I just thought that was hilarious because it, it, it was the way it was shot. Uh, they panned it up. Looks similar, yeah, it, it yeah. looks very similar. Maybe Alec Guinness shows up out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> tries to help. These are not the droids you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. These are not the droids you are. <laughs> but no, but, I just thought it was. Fu- it was. It, it struck me as funny, so I just wanted yeah, to mention that. But it's it's such a brutal. Sequence oh, it is very brutal. They all. I mean, they all get killed, and and of course, again, like I liked these characters, and Fish Stevens gets his like fingers chopped yeah. off, and I, I really liked Woodstock. I really liked Woodstock yeah, with yeah. Fisher Stevens' character yeah, the most. And Eisenberg gets the blade like, oh, yeah. shoved in his throat. It's like Jesus. Yeah, and, like, then, and then the the other lady gets her like yeah, her, her forehead, forehead cut, cut yeah. and then just and kind then, of dumped into the. But then, but then, would you see it's Fisher? It's even worse for Fisher Stevens later. It was when um, what's her name? Uh, the character of, uh, uh, Michelle. Uh, Michelle, yeah, Aries, yeah, yeah, is swimming out because she sees the boat later or the canoe later on, and she's like, "Oh my God, there's the raft!" You know, like let me yeah. swim out there. And all of a sudden, you see Fisher Stevens like corpse pop up, and yeah. he's all mangled. Well, and, like, first her his decapitated arm, yeah. when she pulls over and naturally falls out on her boobs, yeah. so that way she gets some blood. Oh gets, yes, rub gets, it all gets over. Get some blood. Get some. I need. It's like n- suntan lotion. Yeah, I need that nice tan. You know, and then of course Stevens is corpse comes out underneath the water and creeps her out. Yeah. And it's a very good sequence. It's very creepy. And it, and again, it, it, it again, it sets up the whole thing where, well, you know, because they're out there, they're all alone. Now they have to figure out what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course, actually, we should go back for a moment because let's not forget uh, Glazer finally gets together with oh, that one girl. He, he, yeah, and he has uh, some intimate moments. Yeah, and... which doesn't quite work out after 10 yeah, minutes. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't even last 10 seconds. He's uh, over. Ten se- yeah. And I love that she goes, is that it? Is it over? And he's like, I'm sorry, baby. I- 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 it'll be better <laughs> and, next time. And again, <laughs> at that point, I kind you kind of like Lizard because he's just trying to be well, like like – because remember earlier on he was being all tough guy. Yeah, he was like, a tough, you don't know what it's like when you have the real thing, man. Yeah, and he's then, a tough jock. Yeah, and, and then later on he's just kind of a softie, and you're like, ah, oh, man, come on, dude, just you know, take it easy. You know, you got to be a little more romantic with this thing. And he decides to go out and get um, some matches for the fire, and he right. comes back, and she's and, dead. And I have to say, I think Glazer's death sequence is very—it's nicely done, mm-hmm. but the way how they set it up. Doesn't quite work logistically because when he runs over to her, yeah, and at the same time, uh, Brian Backer's Alfred character is following him. Right, he's watching in the bushes yeah, again because yeah, yeah. he's a the, perv. Because he's such a perv, mm-hmm. we don't know. We don't know why <laughs> he's just such a perv. So, but well, uh, why is Cropsy stalking these harmlessly innocent yeah, kids for any reason? That's true. That's true. Let's not dig too deep. Yeah, let's not dig too deep in this. We're we're kind of we're kind of digging. A little, I'm, I'm kind of digging a little too deep in here, but there are occasionally sometimes you know like well why is but then Alfred was saying to the. Um, uh, to Todd earlier, I was like, yeah, "People just don't understand me," and blah blah blah. And I, I was kind of yeah. like, "Okay, whatever." But you like to watch, whatever. Yeah, just <laughs> I would have had, I would have had uh, Todd say, "Look, just a minute. You like to watch. Yeah. That's fine, but you have to be more discreet about it. You can't just be in the shower room with the girls yeah. and think." There's know, magazines there's for that. Magazine, you know, just hide your face behind. But anyway, so go on. You keep going, guys. So uh, Glazer comes up to 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 the girl, and she's covered in the sleeping bag, and we. Pulls it, pulls it away. All of a sudden, the garden shears right there. It's almost as if they're making it look like the the cropsy was hidden underneath the the sheets. Yeah. But at the same time, how it's shot, 
you just see the close-up of her face and then the shears and the shears yeah. turn towards the camera, almost as if the shears were lying there and Cropsey had to sneak right past him yeah, to grab a... the shears and quickly stab him. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, then pick him up and then move him. Yeah, the pick up and move him thing was okay, but it was just like how they set that up. I would have rather it just been he pulls the covers back and he sees her dead and he's shocked and all of a sudden Cropsey comes up in front of him and just stabs him. But they make it look like, you know... Either Cropsey is hidden under there or the shears are hidden under there because it's all in, in a close-up. Right. And the shears just pop out and just grab it. And I'm like, so is, was Cropsey hiding underneath that or did he just like run up beside there very stealthily and grab those shears and say, all right. Well, he's a ninja. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, he is all dressed in black in this, so yeah. I don't know. And I mean, it is but, dusk. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> but, but, I mean for a drunken, a drunken SOB like, you know, Cropsey – uh, who, I don't envision him being that stealthy to just quickly grab those shears and stab him. So, uh, so I know we're reading too deep into this, but like I said, I, I, I like the death scene. I just think they could have just you know done something a little okay. better with it. Fair enough. It's because I because it did throw me off. I was a little confused. I'm like, yeah. why? But anyways, yeah. So, so of course. Alfred the perv, which is witnesses the murder and runs off in terror, and tells Todd. Tells Todd, and Todd comes back and of course believes him because you know, yeah. if the bodies disappeared, it would have just been like a huge leap of faith at that point. But yeah. and then of course Cropsey attacks uh, Todd briefly and gives him a little snip on the side of his head, and Alfred runs off and uh, yeah, leading up to them finding the raft of, 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 the, of, of the dead kids. Right, and then yeah. and I believe it was. Um, uh, what was her name? Um, was it the the, the head? Uh, yeah, Michelle. Michelle. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, Michelle. She paddles or canoes back to the camp to mm-hmm. warn the boss. Like I guess the boss of of the campsite. Yeah. Let them know. Please bring, you know, the police because there's a maniac on the loose. They yeah, killed yeah. all these kids. Because it's up to because it's up to Todd to, to put an end to this killer on the loose. Yeah. And now this is this is. This is a little bit of a far fetch because I because yeah. we because we get again we don't want to dig too deep but we realize that in a flashback sequence that Todd was one of the boys that helped set Cropsey on fire yeah, by accident and, and 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 that's the thing about it that doesn't really kind of because like I said if, if Cropsey was out for revenge he would have gone back to the original yeah Camp, Camp Blackstone why yeah. and, Which, how, and well, how do you know, how do you know where Camp Stonewater is and yeah, where, yeah. where this guy but was then at they the do time. set up but then here's like they do set up that the camp well I think they I'm trying to remember now I think they set up that that camp was abandoned so maybe that kind of but then it's like a huge again it's kind of like a huge leap of faith to have Todd character be all of a sudden connected in yeah. a way with this because it's like you know it's like it's very coincidental that Todd at that point after five years is now working as a camp a camp counselor right. at a different camp. Well, and, and he mentions to uh, when he's talking to, to was it Alfred. Yeah. The, 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 no, the, who's the guy that? Uh, oh. The, uh, the, 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 is it Alfred or no the, the guy who was? Um, I'm sorry, the, the pervert. Alfred. Alfred, Alfred, yeah, okay, Alfie. That, you know, he explains, like, look, come talk to me. You know, we, we had an incident back five years ago mm. when I was a kid, you know. Yeah. Where, you know, I, Which kind of does sort of set that up. Yeah. But it, it's still, like you said, it's a huge leap of faith. Yeah, and for it to just have that connection come together. I mean, it's a nice, it's, it's, it's an interesting twist. I don't, I don't, I personally don't hate it. But it's like. You know, it's like, oh yes, it comes together yeah. all of a sudden. But, yes, you yes. know, and it's and like, like okay. I, I, you do, again, you don't want to dig too deep, but it's like, there's a lot of how, how did Cropsy know where Todd was, and yeah, why it, was it only Todd? Well, that, it, 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 wouldn't it, it, he be stalking the other guys? Right, too? right. And even if even if 
Cropsey didn't know. The fact that it just comes together like that is right. just too convenient right. for the story. And again, it's like trying to inject a murder mystery into a slasher film, which is basically what they were. Right. And, but it doesn't quite jibe as well. So yeah, yeah. So now, now we get Cropsey hunting down um, Alfie, yeah. running through the through the forest and the hills and everything. And to me. I like the scene, but it's way, it goes on for way too long. Yeah, they were trying to milk it. I think the story was that they were going to shoot it in a uh, cave. Yeah, and then they ended up shooting it in some sort of mine or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the there was two stories. Tom Savini claimed that it was because there was a a, a, a cave in collapse. And okay. they were like, and it, was, it wasn't extreme, but they were like, well, it's too dangerous to shoot here. But then I think the director, Tony Malayam, claimed that there were bats in the cave and it would have just... Just made the whole situation difficult, so they decided to go for an abandoned copper mine, which right. is okay, which is but fine. it goes but, on for but, long. But, the, but having Cropsey stalk this kid and then having Todd stalk that follow them, yeah, it's it just it it seems like it goes on for almost too long. It's like t- almost like ten minutes long. I want to say. I mean, don't quote me on that, but it it seems like forever. I'm All like, right. can we just get to the point? And then yeah. obviously you get, you know, Cropsey. He you know he he fights um, he. Alfie and he and he sticks him with the with the blade, but he only like he only sets him up. It's like he's using him as bait. Yeah, almost, yeah, yeah. To get, uh, this to, one to get Todd. Yeah, and then uh, we in the crops he comes out with that nice flamethrower, which is kind of neat, but it was kind of Again, all over the place. I'm like, where does he get a flamethrower? It's like an abandoned yeah, copper yeah, mine. Copper mine, yeah. And then, but but I, I did, but even though at that point you're kind of like, well, all right, he's got something because they do they do. Tony Malam does a decent job, kind of setting up the style as. That stylistic aspect of it, you know, he has a, he has uh, the 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 torch on, and he's flaming it around, and of course Todd, uh, uh, Todd's looking around, right. and of course the fire goes out, and then he's just like, "What's going on?" And then of course Cropsey shows up and turns the fire back on again, and there's like a, a brief confrontation, yeah. and then of course you know eventually, um, uh, Alfred gets free and takes the the, the garden shears and just stabs him in the back, and right. then you get the. The finale, the finale where you have to have the killer at least come back for a moment. Yeah, and then the jump scare, jump scare, and then you get the cool, which I thought was a cool shot of Todd taking that that uh, axe and just embedding it right in Cropsey's deformed face. I mean, it was it was very over the top, but again, it's Tom Savini. You know, you're getting what you get from that. Yeah, he throws everything at the wall. Yeah, and and that's what I love about him. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's just the blood shot right out and just comes out like like. (sighs) Like cranberry juice, and then they they set him on fire and everything. I mean, it, it, it's it's not a great ending, but it's a decent wrap up to, you know, a a movie that you know mostly like I, satisfying movie. Man, I, most satisfying movie. I mean, yes, it it even though I I do say that I think this is one of the the better ones. It does have its flaws. Oh yeah, but it does make up for some of its you know the good stuff that comes with it. Yeah. So, yeah, but it, I mean, yeah, and it's the strong points being the, the cast of characters yeah. of the campers yeah. and the counselors and stuff like yeah. that. And some of the writing's decent, and you know, some of some of the setup is good too. I mean, you got some shaky parts, but you know, when you're working on a low budget like this, you know, and you got to come mm-hmm. up with stuff and try to make it look reasonably good. You're like no, doing your best. Oh so, yeah, that's very understandable. I mean, it, I mean, I give Tony Malayam the director credit. I mean, he tried and he did succeed in some parts. You know, and then there are some parts that don't quite work, but. You know, it is it is the movie that I guess you can say is the product of its time. So, yeah, I mean it is. I mean, oh, you yeah. know, you don't quite get a movie like this anymore, and if right. you do, it's kind of you know. And I'm and I'm kind of glad that they haven't 
reboot it or rebooted this uh, franchise. Well, it's not really a franchise because it's only one movie. Yeah. But they haven't tried to reboot this or tried to make it into something yeah. more because I don't think it would work yeah. nowadays. Yeah. Well, also Bob Weinstein and Harvey Weinstein don't own the rights because <laughs> once they sold this film to a. Uh, uh, Filmways, which eventually got bought out by Orion in the 80s, and Orion got bought out in the 90s by MGM, you know, if the Weinsteins wanted to get the rights to this, MGM would be asking for a pretty penny from those guys. Because <laughs> if you look at, because this was their first movie. Right. And it was their, this was the film that, you know, got them into producing, and now they've become the big moguls that they they are now. Well, they they can afford it, though, if they yeah, really want to. Yeah, but, but, but then I can imagine them, what they're going to do is they'll buy it, if they wanted to, and they'll put it in the vault like they do with a lot of their acquisitions and just close the doors. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> and, and truthfully, you know, I don't think it's it's clamoring for a, a remake or yeah, reboot. Yeah, no, it's, no. It's, it's, it's fine the way it is. Um, I guess, well, I think it's time to put the ashes of poor Cropsey into the urn yep. and put them to rest. But before we pay our final respects, I do have some fun facts on old crispy Cropsey and the burning. <laughs> So basically, the, one of the coolest, coolest, and one of the most um, you know demented, I guess, fun fact uh, of this film is the concept of the original film. Or the, the concept of the film, originally scripted as Cropsey Man- the Cropsey Maniac, is based on a campfire story told at the summer camps in and around New Jersey and upstate New York. Oh, yeah. The story is still in circulation, and there's this great chilling documentary on Netflix called Cropsey from 2009. It was, was written and directed by Joshua Zeman and Barbara Barnacchio. The film initially begins as an examination of Cropsey, a boogeyman-like figure from New York, from a New York urban legend, before before segueing into a story of Andrew Ran, Andre Ran, a convicted child kidnapper and alleged serial killer from Staten Island. In the mid 1960s, Ran worked as a custodian for Will, at a Willowbrook State School, hmm. and the hospital is located on the current college uh, Staten Island of, uh, I think it's Cooney Campus, and surrounded by the forest called the Greenbelt. Now, in the 1972 documentary, uh, in 1972, a documentary filmmaker who was Geraldo Rivera <laughs> brought the conditions of Willowbrook to the public eye in an expose entitled Willowbrook, The Last uh, Great uh, Disgrace. The film had made a number of allegations against the institution, and in 1987, Willowbrook was closed by the state. Uh, but there was, a lots of, well, there was lots of underground tunnels, and just it, it was – it's really a freaky and sad and – Scary story, really. More, it's scarier than the burning could ever be. Yeah. So. Sounds like a vacation trip. <laughs> we can take. Oh man! If you so, if you ever have the opportunity to check out the Cropsey from two thousand nine, it's on Netflix. It's it's really it's an interesting and 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 really sad look at at this this time this era. I mean, because this really happened. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, moving on. Um, Tom Savini was not particularly happy with the Cropsey burn makeup, as he was only given three days to work on it. Mm. And Savini turned down Friday the 13th Part 2 from 1981 to work on this. Yeah, I heard that. He did turn that down. And, and, and I think – and I remember reading somewhere he turned it down because he basically was just like – because the killer is dead or something like that. I'm trying to remember the exact story, but he was like, why, why, why would I want to come back and do this to do that all over again? I think that's yeah. the story. I can't remember the exact yeah. specifics. But. Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, to create Cropsey's distorted POV shots, the cinematographer rubbed vastly on the outside of the edges of the uh, – uh, Vastly on the outside edges of the lens cameras no, or just, camera lens. So. Yeah, that's, that's such an old trick. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's see. This was a feature film, a feature film debut of Jason Alexander, Fisher Stevens, and Holly Hunter, which we already mentioned. 
Uh, let's see. This film also, you know, launched the careers of the claim producers Harvey Weinstein and Bob Weinstein. Their mother Miriam was also in the, uh, a pre-production assistant of the film. So oh yeah. I guess okay. it was a family affair. Yeah. Uh, oh, the wardrobe of this film is vast. Is vastly the actual wardrobe of the cast, because uh, there was rarely a costume person on set. <laughs> so, uh, but it feels so natural. It's a, it, it, it really it does. Well, yeah. Maybe I, that maybe it was part it, of the. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't quite feel as generic. Usually for these kids, they have them wear like plaid shirts and. Oh yeah, the, the, the local styles of the, the local style of the uh, time. It's like, come on, just let them wear the regular clothes. Uh, a shot of Cropsy legs kicking wildly on the fire was actually portrayed by Tom Savini. Um, let's see here. Um, get a couple more here for you. Uh, oh, uh, Larry Joshua is actually older than the two main counselors. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. Um, oh, the film composer Rick Wakeman was originally offered a percentage of whatever the profits of the film made, but he decided to opt for a fee instead as he felt the film had no chance of being successful. The film ended up being the biggest grossing horror film in, or horror movie in Japan. Uh, never turned down those uh, international sales folks. <laughs> and, <laughs> they can uh, make money. <laughs> and finally, the film was one of the first movies to land on UK's video's nastiest list, specifically because of the infamous RAF massacre. Yep, the video nasties, which we all, if you're a big horror film fan, you uh, if you know your history does well. That was a big, big issue back during the '80s in the UK. Okay. Oh boy! Uh, all right. Well, so let's put the the burning away, and let's roll that trailer from the Prowler, from, also from 1981, Chris. Yep. It was 1945. The night of the graduation dance. The war overseas had just ended. The terror at home Boy. was about to begin. Boy. Come on. Come on, kid. Don't play hard to get. What about New Year's Eve? Well, that was different. I couldn't help myself. The Prowler. If he wants you, he'll get you. Tonight, the terror begins again. They never found out who did it. It had to be someone in town, someone who knew that she was called Rose. And Mark, that guy still might be around here. Oh, man, I don't believe this. You're talking about something that happened over 30 years ago. Whenever the time was right, he'd come back. The Prowler. If he wants you... He'll get you. Just when you catch your breath, it starts all over again. You may think you're safe, but you're dead wrong. The Prowler 
coming soon. Well, okay, that's the Prowler. <laughs> yeah, well, all right, let's let's get right break into this movie. So we have yes, the Prowler, 1981, directed by Joseph Zito and written by Neil Barbara and Glenn Leopold. Um, yes, the uh, early '80s saw that uh, an interesting genre take fold, the slasher. I mean. Uh, you know the story for slasher films. You know, they would usually involve, quote, young, unquote, teens or college students, sometimes adults, considering that the filmmakers want to try for something different, uh, getting murdered by some masked assailant wielding a weapon or various weapons, depending on how stealthy the killer is. Uh, and it's all wrapped around a storyline and ranging from effective to mildly plausible to, you know, hey, who gives a shit about the story? Just kill the, <laughs> kill the fucking kids already. You know, but the yeah, rise... Those of the, movies are the best. Oh, uh, yes. But the rise of the slashers also gave rise to young special makeup effects artists who wanted to strut their stuff, spilling the red stuff and slathering the latex on aplenty. Um, one of the leading fellows of special makeup effects in the early 80s was Tom Savini with credits. No way. Yeah. Well, you know, with credits like uh, we mentioned The Burning, but also Dawn of the Dead from 1978, Friday the 13th, and Maniac from 1980. Uh, Savini was brought in to deliver his juicy effects for The Prowler. And not only did the producers go for Savini's talent, they also brought in classic Hollywood actors like Farley Granger and Lawrence Tierney to top-line this production, even though even though Granger and Tierney quickly appear and disappear to leave the remaining majority of the running time in the hands of the youthful cast to carry. So, uh, The Prowler first opens in the small town of Avalon Bay during the end of World War II. A young woman named Rosemary had sent a letter to her lover who was fighting in the war, expressing that as much as she cares for him, she just cannot wait for him to come back. A few months pass, and Rosemary attends the town's graduation dance with her, with her new guy, Roy. Um, the two leave the dance and head off to a lake to spend some romantic time Bounce with each other. Wow, wow. Yep. Which is then rudely interrupted by a soldier wearing full combat gear and wielding a nasty pitchfork. Uh, the, soldier, the soldier stabs both Rosemary and Roy to death in the gazebo, leaving behind a red rose in Rosemary's dead hand. Thirty-five years later, Avalon Bay prepares to have their graduation dance, despite the festivities being banned by the wheelchair-bound Major, Major Chatham, played by Lawrence Tierney, after Rosemary and Roy were killed those many years ago. Despite the news of a recent store robbery in the nearby town of Columbus, Sheriff George Frazier, played by Farley Granger, is about to go on his fishing trip and leave the constable duties to young deputy Mark London, played by Christopher Goutman. But on the night of the uh, dance, what do you? Well, well, wouldn't you know that crazy soldier is on the loose again, killing a few people here and there with that nasty pitchfork, as well as other items of death like a bayonet, double-barreled shotgun. Pam McDonald, played by Vicki Dawson, happens to see the soldier wandering around her hallway dorm, and she runs into she runs to tell Mark about it. So this all leads to Mark and Pam trying their damnedest to find out who this mysterious soldier is and stop him before there are more victims. So yeah, let's talk about the Prowler. Um, you know, uh, if there would be a qualification for a lesser slasher, it's kind of this one. Yeah, I, I don't hate this movie. To be perfectly honest with you, I do own the Blu-ray of it. So do I. So I don't hate it. No, neither do I. It's just, I'm going. Okay. It's just so limited in its story department. Yeah. And of course, one would say, "Well, what do you expect from a slasher film?" Well, considering it actually has a very interesting setup and a mystery behind it, I expected a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I personally I loved the, the the opening minutes of the film. Yeah. I thought that those were some of the best. Um, it's a great setup because, I think. truthfully, I like that that time period anyway, the 1940s, and yeah. setting it up with uh, World War II and, and, a, and, a, and a veteran coming back uh, from the war. 
that seems like such a unique and kind of like awesome way to to go yeah, with it, that. And but my thing was, I would have preferred it to not have fast forward thirty five years, but keep it keep it in that time oh, period. You know, that, that would have been, been a much good idea. That would have been much more effective, in my opinion. And I think the opening sequence is pretty nicely done in terms of what it's trying to set up and, and the style it's going for, because you have that newsreel sequence, and mm-hmm. then you have. The opening letter sequence, and then when, of course, the, 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 the Rosemary part, is reading the, the dance it. scene. Yeah, the but, dance when, sequence. but I like that part where when Rosemary is reading the letter, the camera pans down. And you have that part where she says "Sign Rosemary," and and it's in black and white. The rose she draws, and then it's it quickly dissolves into color. It's very mm-hmm. brief if you catch it. It goes by no, real fast. Yeah, I didn't notice that. But yes. then and then of course it moves over to the town, and then it starts up the whole thing involving the Rosemary and her new boyfriend getting killed. That's a pretty good startup. I was like, that's that's a great opening. It really works. The setting's great. Let's and rock I, it, you know? Yeah, let's rock it. And then all of a sudden, when it goes to, like, 35 years later into the 80s, or early 80s, yeah. I, I, I won't say the movie takes a dive, but it just feels like it just, like, it slows down at that. It feels like yeah. it starts to slow off that A little point. bit, yeah. And the other thing about this movie is that this is one of those horror movies made at a time when... Um, if you didn't have name value in these movies, you happened to get former name value that was that was still relatively marketable. You know, like uh, uh, in this case, they got Farley Granger and uh, Lawrence Tierney. Now, Farley Granger, of course, is best known for being in two Alfred Hitchcock movies, Rope from 1948 and Strangers on a Train from 1951. And Granger's Hollywood career wasn't exactly, uh, how shall I say this? Uh, it wasn't, successful? It wasn't exactly <laughs> successful. He... He had a successful Hollywood career in the 40s and 50s, but by the 1960s and 70s, it dropped off, and he was doing movies overseas in Europe, and then he was kind of sort of coming back in television and whatnot. Just doing stuff to get Just a paycheck. Some, yeah, I mean, not, not, not a knock on him. He is a decent actor of his time and everything, but I found this character of the sheriff to be very, very, very out of place. It doesn't really suit his performance, and the reason why is because if you look at Farley Granger's early acting roles, with the exception of his breakout film, They Live by Night, 1948, he mostly was relegated to playing... Um, sidekick? No, much. not sidekick. Let's say, let's put it this way. He was relegated to playing upper-crust, youthful wasps that, that, <laughs> uh, that would be more akin to going to the local country club than playing a small-town sheriff. Ah, okay. I mean, again, if you look at his roles in Rope and Strangers on a Train, he's not exactly playing, you know... The the small fry he's right. playing, and if you want an example, uh, the upper further, echelon, you know. yeah, upper echelon. If you want an even further example of that, uh, check out his performance in the 1955 movie Girl on a Swing with Joan Collins, where he plays the son of a wealthy family, and he's just this whiny, prissy character that you just want to punch in the fucking face. Those were the kind of roles that Farley Granger was mostly resorted to playing. So seeing him in this movie. Playing a small town sheriff. I mean, it's it's not. I'm not saying it's a again a leap of faith for him as a performer, but it's more like you're just grabbing the the most name actor you can get for well, the best price see, and putting did, it in here. I didn't know too much about the sheriff at all. At, at all. Yeah, and you don't know movie. much about him, and that's because right. his character is like a glorified cameo. Well, he's there and then he's gone, well, and then the worst was, in my opinion, was Lawrence Tierney's character. Yep, because, Lawrence Tierney. <laughs> because you see him like in a faraway shot, when looking out a window, and you see him in the wheelchair, and you see him in the wheelchair outside, and he pulls uh, a Pam Davis's you know arm, yeah. and he goes, and then 
That's it. That's yeah, all that you see of him. And he disappears entirely. And, and Lawrence Tierney is another interesting character, too. He was a, a popular character actor in the 40s and 50s. Um, he played uh, Dillinger in the movie Dillinger of 1945. I believe he was nominated for an Academy Award for that, I think. And then he his his other role that was most well-known for film noir fans is Born to Kill from 1947 with Claire Trevor. It was directed by Robert Wise, who would go on to direct movies like The Haunting, which is my favorite movie. And he would direct Sound of Music, which is not my favorite movie. <laughs> the Hills Are Alive, Chris. The Hills Are Alive. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then, of course, Lawrence Tierney's career would drop off in the 50s and 60s, mainly because of the fact that as much as he was a very good actor, he had he a, a mean drunk. He was a mean drunk. He had a terrible temper. He got into fights constantly. As uh, Eddie Mueller, best, who's well known for you know, doing stuff involving film noir, uh, wrote about Lawrence Tierney, and, and he said, Basically said the best quote about him. He said his rap sheet was longer than his resume because Tierney got involved in a lot of crazy stuff. Well, and, and then, but he, then he made a, uh, a kind of a brief surgeon back in the nineties with Tarantino. Yes, with Reservoir with Dogs. Dogs. And interestingly enough, about that film, Tarantino was promised that uh, Lawrence Tierney was a sweetheart, and Tierney was just causing arguments and fights left and right during that movie. So, but uh, my to. to my favorite Lawrence, I have to tell it though, my favorite Lawrence Tierney story, which was told by Eddie Mueller, was when uh, they both went to see to like one of those um, movie revival houses uh, and they were showing uh, Born to Kill. And Robert Wise was there too. And Larry was still a very feisty individual, but his age was getting to him and he could barely walk and he had a bladder problem too, so he had to be escorted to the washroom. And Eddie Mueller escorted him to the washroom. And then he, he, Mueller said that he walked him up to the urinal. And he said to him, hey, you know, uh, Larry, I'm, I'm, I have no problem helping you to the washroom. But if you expect me to hold it for you, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and, and, and Larry laughs. And he turns to Eddie and just, you know, affectionately grabs his head and just headbutts him. <laughs> you know, and, and Eddie falls to the ground. And he's just like, uh, and everybody's watching, like, oh my god, Lawrence Tierney just hit this poor guy. And you know, once Larry is finished urinating, he mm-hmm. zips up, turns around, he looks at everybody, and he's like, "What are you all, a bunch of fucking cocksuckers? Stop staring at me!" <laughs> <laughs> he's just such an angry man. But oh. he, and he helped Eddie up, and they went into the thing, and they were watching the movie. And uh, at one point, uh, I think Robert Wise didn't even know Lawrence Tierney was there until they were taking doing Q&A with uh, Robert Wise and they were asking him about like uh, about the script of the movie and and uh, Bob was like uh, you know oh um, yeah I I changed the script I did this and this and this and all the while Larry is up at the balcony turning to Eddie Mueller and he says it's a fucking liar it was all in the script it was all in the script and he finally gets up and yells at Bob and says hey Bob what about the fucking script (laughs) just embarrassing (laughs) Robert Wise in front of everybody but yeah Lawrence Tierney, interesting character, but my God, just the stories about him are crazy. And and he could have really actually was could have had a very ex, had a, a rise in his acting career, but it was his. Had pers- he learned to get along. Yeah, he learned to get along. But he did admit to a lot of people that it was his personality and it was temperament that uh, just just uh, just put a kibosh on that. As a matter, actually, another Larry too. I got to tell this. I read this on a message board somewhere. I don't know if this is fully true. But someone claimed that they told a story about Lawrence Tierney one time being in a bar back in the 70s or 80s, and they ran into him. Someone ran into him, and they were like, oh, that's Lawrence Tierney. He goes, oh, yeah. Someone says, oh, yeah, from Dillinger? I think, ah, you don't look so tough to me. And Larry... (laughs) 
unbuttons his shirt. Now he had like all this chest hair. Takes a lighter and lights his chest hair on fire <laughs> in front of everybody. <laughs> you know, and everybody's just like, yeah, you don't think I'm so fucking tough? Look at me. I'm lighting my hair on fire. You know, just wow. doing all these crazy stories. I, I read that story in the message board. So I don't know how true that is, but if that is true, I just laughed the whole time reading it. But yeah, so anyways, what I was trying to say, I'm sorry, we diverted from yeah. Lawrence Tyranny stories. But the, the point is, is that. This was like one of those films where they actually had the the money to actually spend getting former name actors and putting them in this movie and giving them like second and third billing, despite the fact yeah. that Lawrence Tierney and has Holly like Granger, one line. Lawrence Tierney has one line, and he was not even audible. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and he disappears, and you have Farley Granger who disappears in the first half of the movie, and then reappears in the later half of the movie. It's like they just shot their scenes in a day. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a half day. Half day. <laughs> but it was not uncommon to do this. If you, if you can get, at the time, if you could get, um, uh, well, well, even though they weren't quite as well-known, they still had name value. So yeah. so it didn't mean that nobody didn't remember who these people were. They remember who they were. They just weren't quite as like big well, on the a- A-lister stars. And truthfully, you can get kind, these guys. Yeah. It kind of was almost like passing the torch, though, at that time, too. I mean, it, it, yes, it was done for a financial reason, but yeah. to, to me, it was also passing a torch to a younger generation. Right, right. But in my opinion, as much as I felt the cast in the film was pretty I, gung ho, no. they didn't quite pull it off no. as much as I thought it would. And you know, and, and that's another thing, though, too. And again, it, the, the problem with the Prowler is its script is that when, because there's this 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 brief um, sub, I, I don't know if I want to call it subplot or just this this thing where they where they mention about how. There's a um, there was that store robbery in the other yeah. town, and th- that robber like cut up a kid and like drove off in the car. Right. So automatically, it's setting up, making you think, is this guy going to drive into town and like start killing these people? Right. But, and of course, Farley Granger's like, yeah, well, but you know, I got to go on my fishing trip, and it's like, you're the you're, you're the, the sheriff, you're the fucking sheriff, dude, and you, and you leave your job to the deputy, which the deputy looked like he was competent, but it's like. Well, him He's, and his coiffed hair. Yeah, him and his, but but yeah, yeah, his coiffed hair is going to take care of the job. But but it's like. He's like, he pulls out his comb. But, we got this. But, but, yeah, yeah, but, but when Charlie Granger's like, well, you know, I, I got to go on this trip. I, I do it almost every year. And it's like, dude, you can't break post, this tradition. Postpone it yeah, for post, a day or post, so. Yeah, postpone it because you have an actual job to do. You know, And of course, that's an excuse to get Farley Granger out of the movie because he's not going to be there to shoot be in the entire movie. So, But. Um, yeah, once when the young cast takes over, I, I will say they do a, a decent job. But like I said, the script doesn't really – it's like the script has a mystery, but the clues are just so scattered and you don't quite get to that right. point. It's, well, for me, it, the biggest thing was obviously the special effects makeup done yes, by Tom that, Savini. That's that's is the only, pretty much the only saving grace for, for the rest of the film oh, after the is, opening sequence. Is. Um, I mean, we get some nice death sequences. We, you know, still, even after all these years, they still make me cringe. Especially when uh, you see the prowler attack the uh, young lady in the shower. Yeah, that was with, very. With, it's with, it's with, very with, disturbing to watch. With yeah, the with the pitchfork. Yeah, and I think at one point you do hear the sound of the pitchfork like grinding up against the tile. Yeah, too, because it just goes right through, and you're just like, yeah. you know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, like you said, it, it, the the acting is hit or miss. Yeah, and it just and sometimes it kind of drags a little bit. Yeah. Um, now. Especially now, now they're on the hunt. So she 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 goes to the the sheriff. I mean the deputy. I forget what was his, what was his name. Uh, the deputy's name. Uh, I'm sorry. The deputy's name is. Uh, oh jeez. Oh, see, very forgettable. <laughs> yeah, you see, we don't even care at that point. No, the deputy's name was uh, uh, Mark London. Yeah, sorry, there Mar- you go. Yeah. Played by uh, Christopher Galpin. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, he. Um, 
but one thing I will notice is that it it, it has the intrigue there because you know they're like you know Pam comes up to him and says, you know I saw this guy in the loose, so of course now they got to figure out what's going on. I mean you think it's going to be like this dangerous adventure that they're on, right? But it's just them wandering around varying locations. You know, I hate to say it because it sounds so cliche now. Yeah. But the character Pam, she's the she's the she's the blonde. Yeah. She's always running and screaming away from the the mass right, or the serial right, killer, right, right, and right. she's pounding and she's playing. It's just so cliche now. But back in the eighty one early eighties, it yeah, wasn't. But it wasn't. I, I look at it and I. And, you know, I know they're trying really hard to convey some sort of sense of dread, but all I can do is just kind of laugh. <laughs> yeah, because it, 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 the movie hasn't, like, aged as well. Like, it, oh, my it, God, it, he's coming, he's yeah. coming. And, of course, it, you get the false, because you got, like, the typical red herrings. You, they think that the, the, the one slow guy that works at the, the, the little store it might have yeah, something the, to the, do with it. the fat slow guy that couldn't put two words together. Who actually ends up being having a heart of gold. And, of course... But we'll get to that soon. And then, um, you know, by the way, he's kind of sort of the only red herring in this film. I mean, it certainly isn't the major character because, I mean, you kind of maybe think the major character. But once you find out earlier on that he had a stroke and he's sitting in the wheelchair. Yeah. It's but, like, and, but they do kind of throw it off. He's like, well, how did he get downstairs? Yeah, he's in a wheelchair. right. I'm like, I'm like well. Right. How did he get downstairs? But, right. th- but again, that's never really pursued because. Yeah, because it, he disappears. Again, yeah. He, he, I'm so, I'm, folks, seriously, Lawrence Trudy completely disappears from this narrative he's, like magic. It's yeah. like a magic trick. Yeah. I swear David God. Copperfield. Poof. Yeah. Now yeah. he's gone. Well, just film editing though or whatever. But I mean, it's, it's just. They don't even try to do it. They don't even try to like gloss over Like, oh my God, maybe yeah. he. Yeah, you know. because once they try, to, they go in the guy, old guy's house, and yeah. then of course there's that they connection can't find between him. Rosemary right. and all that stuff. It's like they can't find him; he's just gone. It's like he's not even dead anywhere. Do we, do we assume just... that the prowler took care of him and just kind of hid him? But w- wouldn't they show that? Yeah, I mean... wouldn't they find his body? Because they like, you know, I mean, but um, well, I guess yeah. we're probing too deep again. Yeah, we are. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. We don't want to really probe too deep in these movies. But when, when, like I said, the setup of this movie is very interesting, and I like the setup yeah, of it. Totally love but the setup because when you have, I always say, when you have a good setup, you better have like a good, you know, rest of the movie, or at least something passable. And, and like with the burning, the setup for that movie was shaky. But I went along with it because the movie improved a little bit. Right. You know? And this is the exact opposite. And this is the exact opposite. It has an opening sequence that improves, but when it continues forward, it does not improve. And I was yeah. actually listening to the audio commentary with, the, with Joseph Zito and, and Tom Savini, and at the end of it, you know, they're, they're chuckling because it's like, you know, for them, like a reliving yeah. of it. Right. And Joseph Zito said, because they were talking about the script, and he said, you know, Tom, when you have a murder mystery element in this film that just goes, that doesn't do anything you don't worry too much about the story <laughs> and he's kind of right but at the same time i'm like but it had a good setup i was hoping for the movie they have a great payoff right and as we continue on we don't want to give away the ending just yet yeah but it, truthfully it, feel, it felt like um that the the action was built around the death scenes oh yeah and, yeah, and yeah. I, I didn't care about any of the really any of the characters yeah i didn't either i mean i, I didn't feel i didn't get any sense of dread from them i mean the special effects are gruesome yes but and especially the attack in the pool scene, which was just yeah, that was pretty nice too. And then even the um, because she they he attacks from under the water, which is surprising because he's in full camouflage gear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's it, this is one of those films where it actually has decent production value, and it, visually speaking, it looks nice, and the effects work is great. It's just everything else in between doesn't hold together. 
and I, I do think it's like it's like they got three fourths of a puzzle. Yeah, and it's almost, yeah, yeah. It's almost, it's almost great. There, they just can't find that one piece. Yeah, that, it's you like know, under the couch. Hidden. And if they do find a piece, it doesn't fit, yeah. and they're like, oh, forget so, it. So they're wedging it with yeah. a hammer. <laughs> but I like Savini's effects in this too. They are very good. I like that pool scene too because when. She, the, the 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 one girl is swimming in there and she gets up and the soldier kicks her in the face right. and she's just so disoriented. That's pretty nicely handled in the course when he kills her. And then um, he kills the other uh, girl too. Who went looking for her. Yeah, yeah. Which that was one of the, in my opinion, one of the gruesomest scenes that they yeah, could ever do yeah. to somebody. <laughs> it's, but then the last half of the movie just kind of peters out because, you know, it, it, it's supposed to revolve around this uh, graduation dance. And then we move away from the graduation dance, and I'm kind of thinking to myself, well, wait a minute, shouldn't, like, like, like I, I, I would think if this was reworked, the killer should be killing more people at the graduation dance, because there's a point in the movie where we just move away from the graduation dance, and we're kind of like, are they still having the dance? Are yeah, they, and, and then, they come, then, they, then they come back to it, too. It's yeah. like, now, now you're taking off, because you have uh, Pam, and you have the, the tech, or the, not the tech, the deputy, yeah. searching, going through like a cemetery, then going to the old man's house. Right. And it's like, it, there's so much, I wouldn't say time wasted, but it just seems to drag yeah. a little bit. It's like they could have tightened that up a little bit. Right. And then, but one of the funniest scenes that I liked about it is where the deputy starts calling the, where the sheriff's supposed to have the camping trip. Or oh, the fishing okay. trip, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah that's yeah. hilarious because the guy, this fat, just douchebag of a guy who's like, I just got on my night shift, you know, and he's just sitting there playing like like a solitary yeah, and, yeah. and drinking and eating a sandwich. And it's just like, this guy's such a fucking dick. Well, let's say that because this and, and again, it's actually a convenient way to divert from because, you know, let's face it. When Farley Granger goes off to his uh, fishing trip, yeah. you you also air begin, quotes. Yeah, you you also begin to wonder. Well, could he be the killer? So so basically, when the sheriff, the deputy decides to call up call up the sheriff and try to get some help out there, you know, you have the the hotel um, manager or whatever or, or, or the, night clerk uh, night, night clerk the night clerk sorry the night clerk. Um, He's playing solitaire. He's this big fat guy. He doesn't seem like he wants to. He do just wants anything. to drink his beer and be, just be left drink, alone. Yeah, and eat his candy bar. He gets the phone call and he gets annoyed. And of course, what he does is he puts the phone down on the side, slams the door. Just yeah, he just slams the door and makes it look like he's left. And he's just sitting there, giving it time, giving it time. And he slams the door again. And he opens, picks up the phone and he goes, "Yeah, I knocked on his door, but he wasn't there." And of course, that's the set. Set right. that up because imagine if he actually was interested in going to knock the door, then he'd come back and say, "Oh no, he's not here." Right. And of course, it would—it's supposed to make—it would make you realize, ah, and he is the yeah. killer. But but then he tells the deputy that they're out like night fishing. Yeah, or night, night fishing. Or... But but he's like, but at the same time, it's like to, to be this kind of way to divert from that. Like, there's right. no way the sheriff is the killer in this movie because you know. The night clerk didn't do his, you know, job and everything or whatever. It's it, it's 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 a funny sequence. Yeah. It just doesn't add up very well, you know, to kind of create that, that that diversion from you thinking that you know, oh, the sheriff is not maybe not responsible for this for these deaths. Yeah. So just, it doesn't quite pan out. Yeah. It, it's it, again, it's it starts to this is where it starts to kind of peter out. Yeah. And just kind of like okay, so what's next? You now, know? when we get to the concluding sequence, which is back at the Chatham House and everything. That's when it kind of picks up because now it's like it's it's basically the movie's ninety one minutes and we're seventy nine minutes into it right. and that's when we're gonna get to the big reveal the big conclusion, you know the killer shows up, 
He's, he's chasing, chasing Pam. Her, he's chasing Pam around with the, the pitchfork. At one point, she slams the door in the pitchfork, and the pitchfork somehow breaks. I mean, I got to tell you. Those, well, it's a 40 year old pitchfork. So. I know, but the way how that door closed on it and it just broke, and eventually you see it break off, I was like, there's no way that door could have really have created that much, you know, force to keep. And there's no way that girl could keep that much force to make right. that fetch for a break. Well, so semantics, I, Chris. Sem- I know, yeah. We're reading too deep into it. But like I said, you know, it, when you get to that point, you're kind of like, uh, you know. So, but then we, you know, we get the big, oh, and of course, uh, the deputy who's supposed to be the brave hero gets knocked out. Yeah. How about that? Yep. How about that? And, and by the way, does not show up until the very end. Yeah. Yeah, so... Anyways, maybe he's the killer. Yeah, maybe he's the killer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Knocked himself out. That was just his hand off screen and just knocked himself out. So eventually the killer is confronting Pam and then of course this you know the, the slow guy shows up with a gun and yeah. sh- shoots the killer dead. Or I think we think he shoots the killer dead. Right. But there's again there's that, that, that surprise that, that surprise scare. scare. All of a sudden uh the soldier whips out his is double it? his double barreled sawed off shotgun and kills the slow guy and we feel bad because now it's like, Oh the slow yeah. the slow guy. We, yeah. we kinda heard of gold. Oh damn it. Yep. And then of course it's time for Pam to take charge because once she takes off the hood yeah. It's Farley Granger, dun, everybody. Dun, dun. Yep, so it was Farley Granger after all. You could just I would have I, I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you crazy kids. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you would have said that. It would have been like a Scooby Doo episode. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And of course, the reason why our killer is doing this and his motivations we just don't know. I mean, yeah, it has to do with Rosemary and everything, but, but how how is he the sheriff of this town? Well, that and it's like, is it because of the dance? Did, did, did something snap in the yeah. sheriff's? Like, That's such a... It's lazy. Dumb. It's, yeah. it's a la- at this point, the script just gets lazy and lazy. And, it, and then, I mean, I like the reveal is nice, but it's like doesn't lead anywhere. Wouldn't he want to make an attack sooner than that? Why would he wait thirty five years? Was it, it? Well, don't forget though, the, the dance was shut down for thirty five. Well, yeah, but would that really prompt somebody to? Come? I mean, I guess it's just looking for something, you know. Yeah, it looked like this killer was just looking for something. To a do. reason. It, yeah. Like, but Probably if, Granger just snaps and is like, you know what? I need I need something to do because something's happening in this town. You know what? I'm going to kill people when the dance <laughs> starts up. Great idea. When can I do that? Oh, you know what? Why when I'm taking my fishing vacation? He just pencils that in. <laughs> It'd be funny if they had like a like one of the daily planners. Yeah, yeah. Next to him he pencils it in and says, my... he says, kill people. <laughs> Have to get weapons ready. Um Make, Pick up milk. <laughs> make sure my young deputy uh, knows I am going on a trip. Uh, not make it, it's like come if on. If we would have just looked at his day planner, we would have solved the crime. I think they would have. <laughs> they would have. But yeah, oh. it's. I mean, like I'm not trying to down this movie as much. I mean, it, it, it's here's the thing. Technically speaking, it's not a bad movie. No, it's not just, at all. Story wise and its construction, it just it just loses focus. It loses interest, and then. There's the ending of the movies. Okay, so we get to the ending where she pulls Farley Granger's head off, and we get Tom Savini at his Fine. best, yes. in which she's struggling for her life. She pulls a shotgun over and just blows Farley Granger's head off. Right. In a very nicely done slow motion shot. Yes. Where it looks like a big old watermelon exploding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, from what I heard, Tom Savini used an actual shotgun to blow that head off. So he's done it before. He didn't dawn it up dead with an actual yeah. shotgun. So the guy knows how to handle his firearms to get that straight. So so it blows it. And then we get the ending where um, Pam's okay. And, of course, the boyfriend, her, her, her would-be boyfriend. Would be boyfriend, yeah. 
the, the deputy, hey, he's okay. What happened to What him? a useless pile. <laughs> I know. What a useless character. Drives her back and says, you know, why don't you go ahead and take that shower and clean yourself up. <sighs> Going up to her room, of course. The bodies are still there. Of course, yeah, there's bodies up in her room. And, of course, you get the weird shock ending where one of the bodies tries to lunge out at her. Right. Played by... Um, uh, the guy who we forgot his death sequence. He had a bayonet shoved in his skull on the other side of his. Yes, mouth. well, because it happened right after the horrific shower scene. Yeah, yeah, and and his eyes roll back and everything, and that was just I got that was very uncomfortable. Yeah, that that was it was that was a very good effect, and it yeah. was it was it was not nice. <laughs> it yeah. was very gruesome. But he's hanging in the the shower, and of course he comes to life and grabs at her, and then of course she screams in terror, and then she stops because. Realizes you know, he realizes it's all, or we think it's all in her mind. It's just one of those weird shock endings that really goes nowhere. Yeah, just like the film, and, and it's just, then then you just end with a, like a wide shot of the house and the in the police car or the the uh, detective mm-hmm. calling it in. Yep, and that detective, I'm sorry, deputy. Um, uh, just it was, it is what it is. Yeah, you know, that's like it is what it is. Again, another movie. I hate using a, that phrase. Yeah, but, but there's, it like, is. there's nothing else we can say. <laughs> it's a movie that yes, like the burning product of its time. I mean, like I said, it's not a. I don't hate the movie, but it's one of those that I wish was a lot better <laughs> for, you know, what they were trying to do at the time. So, Oh, yeah. yeah. So do you have any – so I'm certain yeah. we're, we've, now, do you have anything else we can say about yeah, this movie? I, I, I say before we put the prowler on permanent leave, I, I do have some fun facts about the film. Uh, Tom Savini considers, yes, his best work uh, to date, I guess. Um, let's see. Um, the, the film was the reason that Joseph Zito was later selected to direct Friday the 13th, the final chapter, uh, 1984, which happens to be one of my favorite uh, yeah. parts of the franchise. Um, let's see. Farley Granger had a difficult time with Tom Savini creating a cast for his face for the film. Granger was claustrophobic, and Savini had to encase his entire head to make the plaster cast yeah, for Granger. Like, he mentioned that, too. In fact, in the commentary, he mentioned it, but I think he also mentioned that Granger didn't even know himself that he would be claustrophobic yeah. in that ma- head, in the uh, head cast. So, so, wow. so the process cost Granger a lot of stress. Yeah. <laughs> um, ah, with the exception of the final unmasked shot, the role of the prowler was played by assistant director Peter Giannullio. So that's so. Is that does that tell you something? Even Farley Granger himself doesn't play the so, killer in this. Doesn't so Farley Granger had about two days worth of work on this yeah, film. Or one. It looked like one. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, shooting the film's special effects, uh, makeup special. I'm sorry. Shooting the film's special makeup effects would usually take a full day for each setup, and the film's entire shooting schedule was built around the filming of the effects. So mm, yeah. that tells you another thing. Um, let's see here. Um, oh. It took 18 takes for Cindy Waterbroom to be kicked in the face by the prowler before Joseph Zito was satisfied that they had a good take. <laughs> unfortunately, the, fortunately, I shouldn't say, oh, no, unfortunately, fortunately, the foot that kicks her was a fake and it was made of rubber. Yeah. Well, say, no shit. Uh, yeah, she didn't quite have like a bloody nose when she was in that water. Uh, let's see here. Um, oh, Farley Granger was cast in the film because his wife was one of the film's investors who happened to be taking an acting class with him. That's how he got ah, okay, the role. That's so. how he got it, yeah. Um, and I think that's about it. Well, don't forget Joseph Zito, besides the Friday the 13th final chapter, uh, he also directed Missing in Action with Chuck Norris and Red Scorpion with Dolph Lundgren, which Red Scorpion is a lot of fun. <laughs> Missing in Action can... Uh, was it Missing in Action? Mis- Missing in Action. Okay, yeah. Mission, okay, I thought you said another Chuck Norris film. Most... I, 
Not Missing fan. in action is okay, but I like Red Scorpion. It's, okay. It's got Tom Savini providing some bloody effects in that movie, too. So. Yeah. I would say Chuck Norris's worst movie is probably Invasion USA. Yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> well, whatever. You know, I mean, hey, it's Chuck Norris. What yeah. do you expect? Even Chuck Norris would tell you. But then here we are criticizing slasher movies. <laughs> so. Well, see, slasher movies at least have heart. Yeah, no. <laughs> a, a little bit of heart, yeah. A little bit so, of kidneys. No. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think we can really put the prowler uh, to death. Put him, put him, to, put, put him on leave. Put him on leave. All right. So then, uh, uh, let's get with our yeah. last one. Which so is... let's roll that trailer for for the Intruder from 1989. Chris. Yes. Let's roll it. Good evening, all that Lake Shopper. It's closing time. The store will be closing in 15 minutes. But the night crew. Still has work to do. Because there's one last customer who isn't satisfied. No, this creep keeps calling you. He's driving us nuts. Leave me alone. He wants to slash their prices. He wants to cut their inventory. You're crazy. He wants to chop until they all drop. I saw him kill Linda. And now, he's turning their retail store. There's gonna be one more killing here tonight. Into a wholesale slaughterhouse. (laughs) From the producers of Evil Dead 2 and Pulp Fiction comes a new chapter in terror. Bruce Campbell, Ted Raimi, Renee Estevez, and Sam Raimi in Intruder, a new dimension in terror. I'm just crazy about this story. Wow, I I don't know. Is this supposed to be a comedy, Chris? Is it supposed to be a comedy? No, it's not. Uh, But but then again, it all kind of goes with the, the man who made this film, Scott Spiegel, with his weird humor. So... Let's delve into Intruder from 1989, written and directed by Scott Spiegel. Um, In 1982, young Michigan filmmakers Sam Raimi, Robert Tappert, and Bruce Campbell had unleashed unleashed their first theatrical effort, The Evil Dead, a simple but effective tale featuring five college teens venturing out into the mysterious backwoods of Tennessee to spend their vacation in a dilapidated cabin and becoming possessed by the spirits of the dead, unleashed by that dreaded book known as the Necronomicon. Of course... Now, you listeners might be wondering, what does The Evil Dead and its makers have to do with this slasher film, Intruder? Well, Scott Spiegel, of course. Before The Evil Dead, Sam Raimi, Robert Tappard, and Bruce Campbell made Super 8 short films. And Scott Spiegel collaborated his talents with the dynamic threesome. Spiegel would assist with on the production of The Evil Dead. Afterwards, he would produce Thou Shalt Not Kill Except in 1985 for director Josh Becker. Becker also worked on The Evil Dead. And then, in 1987, Spiegel would co-write Evil Dead 2 for Sam Raimi. And then after that, Spiegel would venture out to Hollywood and hooked up with Lawrence Bender. Bender wanted to break in the industry as a producer, and Spiegel had just the ticket, a script called Night Crew, uh, which he had written a few years previous and even made as a Super 8 short, which pretty much turned into Intruder. So, Intruder takes place at the Walnut Lake grocery store, and it is closing time. However, young cashier Jennifer Ross, played by Elizabeth Cox, is startled to see her old boyfriend Craig, played by David Burns, show up. 
Craig was recently released from prison after killing a man in a barroom brawl a few years ago, and he tries to get back together with Jennifer. But once Jennifer rebuffs her old flame's advances, Craig immediately assaults her, resulting in the entire staff and management to throw the, old, <laughs> to throw the loser out of the store. As if Craig's violent outburst wasn't enough, store owners Bill, played by Danny Hicks, and Danny, played by Eugene Glazer, announce that they are selling the store by next month, ultimately bumming out the workers. As the staff keeps busy restocking shelves and marking everything down half price, as well as the dude who stocks the beer, who's basically drinking some of the beer, (laughs) uh, Craig is lurking around outside the store, attempting to stalk Jennifer whenever he gets a chance. Bill catches Craig outside the back entrance, and they get in the fight, resulting in Craig knocking out Bill with a hammer. Soon, management and staff are are being sliced and diced in various gruesome ways, leaving Jennifer the only one left alive and alone in the store. Is the killer her old boyfriend, Craig, or is it some other assailant committing these bloody deaths? Yeah, so let's talk Intruder. You know, it's um, this film came at the tail end, or I should say close to the tail end of the slasher genre. Um, The 80s slasher genre. The 80s, yes. Um, uh, And it's kind of an unusual one because it's, I'll be honest, I do like this movie. It is one of my favorites. Again, it's not... It's not the most well-developed one because there are some mistakes, which I will point out, that have I've, I've caught on this film, even when I first watched it. But I have to say I do like the film's setup and I like its setup location, you know. And it's perfect for, you know, again, if you're trying to do a slasher film, one location setting, try to have an interesting storyline. Um, uh, you know, and, of course, it's, it's Scott Spiegel in, injecting some of his bizarre off-the-wall humor uh, you get none other than Sam Raimi and his brother Ted playing, you know, workers in this yeah, store. Yeah, I found that hilarious. Yeah, they were very amusing in this film. Um, they were kind of the best parts for me. Yeah, yeah. And this was a uh, this was the first um, solo effects work from uh, Robert Kurtzman, Greg Nicotero, and Howard Berger, who would go on to make K and B Effects Group. Uh, they and Greg had, Nicotero went on to do The Walking Dead and yeah, a ton yeah. of other films. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, and this was their first solo effort because they had. Worked as special effects crew on uh, Evil Dead 2, and um, they needed their first gig, and Scott Spiegel gave them a shot on this film. Uh, and this was also uh, uh, produced uncredited by Charles Band. Charles Band had a company at the time known as Empire Pictures. He was making movies like Reanimator and From Beyond, uh, and he was interested in this film, and he threw some money on it, and then unfortunately Empire went bankrupt. <laughs> so Charlie had to release this film through his then set-up company Full Moon Entertainment, through his deal with Paramount Pictures, God, enough to give you a headache. My God, <laughs> yeah, it's it, but uh, yeah. I mean, I like Intruder. It's a lot of fun, and I can I can kind of relate to this because I won't mention the store, but I do work at a grocery store, and it's at one point during my uh, early uh, you know entry job at the store, I did work at night, so I can relate to yeah. everything about I, this I, movie. <laughs> I, I briefly worked at, at an overnight uh, overnight stocking store. Uh, over, I worked at a store in overnight stocking, and yeah. Yeah, briefly, as in probably about a week. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I couldn't take it. I did it for a while, and then I was like, when I had to change my schedule, and I was very happy because I was like, I can't do this because you know you're closing the store, you got to watch people and make sure no one's because our store is yeah. open like longer, and, and it's like you don't want to watch anybody trying to steal your shit, and you got to put like you know cages out and that kind of thing, and yeah. it was just and, and and the worst of it is that when you're your job is done and you're there for another hour or so, what have you got to do? Yeah, you know. But uh, yeah, I can relate to it. So I will say that I, I liked parts of it. Other parts, not so much. I mean, I I, I really I respect Scott Spiegel a lot uh, what he does. Um, but 
there's some POVs of things that just oh, made no yeah, yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. sense. He, he was trying to do these gimmick POV shots. I, oh, my God. Some of them are okay, but some of them get a little silly. The, the like, shopping cart? Really? Yeah, the shopping cart. Is a shopping cart going to well, attack somebody? The one that's kind of silly is where uh, he uses a POV shot of the of the, of the, of the dial tone phone. That, that, that was thank little, you. That, I was going to mention that. That was a little that. silly. And oh. then the one POV shot that I think kind of would have worked if they didn't act it out so slow was when Jennifer's sweeping the floor and she oh, sees the, the note they, that Craig left and she and she drops it on the floor and then she just sweeps it across. And then they, it makes a nice transition. Yeah. But and this, the way, that's nice for editing, but yeah, yeah, but the way how it's acted is like it's done in that classic, you know, you're trying to make it look like you're standing but it looks like she's not standing too tall above right. and they just boop drop it and then yeah. just sweep it over. I mean there are other fun POV shots that like, yeah. I kind of like. I, I will say that the one POV shot I did like, I mean, I didn't like the shopping cart ones. I thought that was kind of silly. Yeah, it was kind of silly. And, and, and the phone one you mentioned. But the one where uh, the, the the manager or the the, bo- or the owner is drinking and they have the – Yeah, yeah. And the that killer, one, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll give you. That and, one's and a good one. And the killer one. comes up behind him and it's like seeing through it. Although it's funny in the audio commentary, Scott Spiegel said the audience just thought that the guy was being poisoned because he didn't he, – he said it looked like he couldn't see the killer's hands attacking him. Oh, jeez. But I was like, well, that would have been funny if he was being poisoned. But anyways, but yeah, the POV shots. Those, some of those gimmick shots kind of work. Some of them don't. I mean, but again, it's Scott Spiegel being trying to experimental because he is trying to do something a little different with the the slasher genre. Uh, again, like with the burning, I I do like some of these characters. They're not the best drawn out characters, yeah. but they're not like like I don't sit there and say. Yeah, when are you going to kill that guy yet? Or when are you going to kill that guy? Yeah. I, I kind of like him. I like the guy Bub played by Bruce Steers. Oh, the, the, the stoner. Yeah. Well, we think he's a stoner, but he's not quite a stoner. He talks like one. He talks like, yeah, man. <laughs> I like the one where he's like, like he's stacking stuff and he does like a horrible job. And like at one point he's like taking the like the cookies and yeah, just opening eating, it up. Yeah. And then like later he's like um, when he's talking to uh, Rene Estevez's character, mm. Linda, He's talking about how, yeah, you know, he was into some, um, talking about Craig. He's like, yeah, he was into some, like, serious drugs, man. <laughs> just, and he's just going all crazy, man. And and had my brother not whacked him over the head with a blender. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> And she's like, a blender? And, he, and, he na- and, and again, this is Scott Spiegel's humor. Right? That's what I love about it. He, she says, a blender? And he says... Yeah, and people would just end it at that moment, but he goes, yeah, and he names the Blender product. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that was hilarious. I did like that. I was like, wow, that's so funny. And then, and then you know, and I kind of like uh, the Danny, uh, the Bill character, Danny Hicks, because he's like, at, you know, first he's like the, the nice manager that you yeah. like. He's got that southern he's, draw. He's, he's a good, he's, he, the, he's a nice guy. He's yeah. a good, he's, he's a good cop. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Well, and then when we get to what happens later, but yeah. we'll hold off that. It's, so basically, let's start up here. So, you know, the whole storyline involving Jennifer, which is played by Elizabeth Cox, and her, her old boyfriend, Craig, played by David Burns. It's an interesting scene because what I like about it is he's trying to get her attention, and, and then it cuts to the management because um, Rene Estevez's character like pushes that security button. Right, right. And they're up there in the office, and they look out. Oh, yeah. And, like, how, how do you not like have like uh, any kind of... like? Uh, it's an independent store. <laughs> well, yeah, but you should have like some sort of like rever- or, you know, some sort of like caring for your 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 co- your employees if they're pushing the panic button. Yeah, yeah. You want to check on them, you know. Right. So, anyways, so they go over and they look out, and then of course, and again, Scott Spiegel kind of screwing around with some of the, um, you know, because you think he's about to get violent immediately, but then he just slams his head, and she says that'll be like a dollar ninety eight for the a cigarette. dollar thirty seven for the cigarettes. I'm like, 
That's a that's a crime right I there. Know, I know. And then he, he tries, and then of course he grabs her by the hand and like starts trying to assault her. And he's oh. like, she's like, you're crazy. Don't ever call me that. It's just setting it up, and he oh. smacks her. And what I love about it is everybody. And again, you can't do this in a store nowadays because you'd get your ass sued. But everybody starts coming, and the manager just starts fighting Craig. Which, and, by, by by the way, is some of the funniest choreographed fighting I've ever seen, I know, and some of the worst special effects. I know. Like, maybe think of like an old like, karate like, movie. I did like that one shot where. Where Craig like sticks his legs up and knocks up, and then good, little old greaseball Sam Raimi comes out with his cup of coffee, like, "Hey guys, what's up?" And, they, like, and he grabs him <laughs> and throws him against the wall. <laughs> but um, oh, yeah, God. it's a. Uh, so then they eventually they find Craig and they kick him out and everything. And of course they 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 reveal to them the news that oh we're selling the store and everything and and, and right. so now we of course have to see the Mark stuff down. I and, just and, love this store. Uh, yeah, yeah, I we'll go get crazy. To that one. But you know, and again. It, it, that's where it sets it up because you know we're kind of trying to get to know the characters just a little bit. I, I do like uh, Elizabeth Cox character. You know she's the n- nice cashier who's like trying to get on with you know her life and everything. She's t- now of course her boy ex boyfriend or ex jailbait boyfriend <laughs> coming back trying to k- bother her, and then um, then all of a sudden people just start getting killed in the store, and it's like and, and the death sequences in this. I'm movie, saying you, you, Jennifer, not not the other. Not one. Jennifer, yeah, the other the other people. And the death sequences in this movie are pretty are pretty off yeah. the wall and brutal. Oh yeah, yeah. There is, I think, all the death scenes were pretty pr- pretty good. Um, the only one that I know you, I think you liked it, uh, is, is the compressor. No, that, the, the compressor one's okay. Yeah, that, that, one, that, that one, to me, that one seemed like the well, cheesiest out of all of them. Here's the thing. Basically, we get classic stab, stabbing sequences, but then we get other, like, almost inventive sequences. Like, uh, my favorite is the guy in the beer cooler. I guess it's because that's what I do at my yeah. job. <laughs> so, but he's in there and someone opens the door and he walks out and he goes, Hey, Tim, you, is that you? She's like, Hey, will you shut the door, please? I'm trying to do my work here. And then, and the logistics of it are kind of off because the killer just happens to be there in that room. You don't see him walk in there, but you, he turns around, the killer's there and stabs him, and the killer stabs him through his stomach and it comes out the other side and it hits the beer cans and it punctures them and you see the beer shoot out at one point too and it's like and the blood and the beer is mixing together and it's so weird yeah. and then um, you get um, one of the manager's death sequences he gets the um, the uh, the letter carrier thing in his eye which is okay it's kind of an easy yeah. standard effect and then um you get Sam Raimi's death sequences. Yeah. Well, that was brutal with the with the meat hook. Yeah, yeah. They, they pick him up and he picks the killer picks him up and stabs him in the hook. And then of course his his uh, his brother. Well, he's not his brother in the movie, but his yeah. brother Ted is yeah, playing the produce pra- guy. Playing produce Joe. I love the scene where Sam talks to him. And he's wearing those head right. And Ted's wearing those headphones, playing that awful music. And he just goes by and says. Lost your job, Joe. And, back and Joe just doesn't even hear him because he's just too busy chopping up and yeah. cutting open the watermelon. Like, yeah, I'm gonna eat that. Yeah. And then of course he gets the knife in the head. And then oh, um, Burr Steer's character gets uh, his his head crushing the the baler, yeah. which doesn't seem very possible because baler doors have those protective coverings that you pull down, and then when you push the button, it comes down. You're, you're digging it, too deep, Chris. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a very, but it's a very vicious death sequence. Uh, yeah. These death sequences are very vicious because, like I said, I, at one point, I'm kind of caring for these characters, and then when they're getting killed like this, it's like, wow. And by the way, as a side note, these gore sequences were cut from the R-rated release, but if you get 
the special edition Synapse Films release on Blu-ray. It's the uncut version, and, and I it, recommend and, that version. Too. And I truthfully, I think the uncut version is available on YouTube as well. Yeah, but I do uh, recommend the Blu-ray. Come on. Oh yeah, oh yeah. With the, like, with come the on, support the these companies, folks. Come on, they do a great job. They do a great job putting these things out. You know, if they, it, it, well, this is a great. Nice looking. It looks almost brand new HD transfer. I mean, come on, you can't go wrong. So, but then the one death sequence that's the most brutal of them all, and when I say brutal, I mean like, ouch, is when. Uh, I think I know where you're going yeah, with this. Yeah, the one on. guy who gets his head taken like cut through, in half, cut, almost. cut in half for that. That's used to cut off produce stuff. There's wow, yeah. it's like oh my god, and it looks really effective. And, yeah, and, and, even and, by even by today's standards, yeah, it would be pretty I, gruesome. I was like, because uh, the flesh is shooting off, and I was like, oh my god, you know, I was like, Jesus, these KMB guys really went all out on this movie. Yeah. And, and at the time, it, they didn't even have that much space. Or yeah, and it's a shame that they got cut out because when it got cut out, it was like almost nonsensical because right. it was like. Well, like, yeah, they were saying they when, once they cut all the death scenes, it just, the, the yeah, story just like, didn't make sense. Yeah, because it's like everybody just disappeared. And it's like, what's going on? You know. Uh, um, there is a flaw in this movie in regard. Well, okay. We should probably get to the part where we find out who the killer is because we all think it's good old Craig. I mean, he got hit in the head with a blunder and all, and he killed a man in the bar well, fight. Well, that would be and, too easy. Yeah, and he looks obvious. I mean, he's wearing that greasers-looking jacket. Yeah, and he's thing. got and he's got like a got bared hair, and he's wearing a beard. Yeah, and he's smoking cigarettes. You know, oh, I guess yeah. that means they're a bad guy nowadays. And. You know, and of course, at one point, you know, he was looking out that window, and then all of a sudden, when the camera pinned, panned over, we saw like a magazine rack showing a picture of Sting. Ah, you know, <laughs> which I have no idea why Sting was there. Yeah, it was also a German magazine too. Yeah. At one point, I put it on pause. I'm like, why is it in German? But anyways, <laughs> I guess there's a German community near Walnut Lake. So, uh, but um, yeah, once we find out who the killer is, it's because. Kind of, it's kind of weird who the killer is in this movie. Yeah, it turns out to be the good, the good guy, the good old country boy himself. Yeah. Bill, I just go crazy for the store. store. You see, Bill apparently, well, Bill was co-owners of the store. Yeah, he he owned like forty eight percent, and the other guy owned like fifty two percent. So basically, it was mostly the other guy that made the decision to sell the store. Yeah, and but so, Bill loves the store so much that he decided to just kill everyone. Kill every well, not just but the thing about this. So he kills. Um, he kills his co-owner, and then he just happens to kill everybody else in the store. Yeah. Why? Why would you? I, why would you kill everybody else? And then he's like, says, "I just got carried away." Is all, and I guess that's part of Scott Spiegel's weird humor because right. it just comes out well, in the most weirdest way. Well, well then you get the, the the scene of him where he's like tracking down uh, Jennifer. And, yeah, and he and, jumps and, on top and, of the. Uh, well, no, before that, they're in the store still. No, this is before that. But he has got he's got the owner, the other guy's head in his hand. Yeah, and, 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 and he references <laughs> back to a story about then there's what's his face just walking yeah. down nine mile, swinging that decapitated head, eating a sandwich in the yeah, other on one hand and holding the decapitated head oh. in the other. Oh. And, and I, I do like how they they because it's kind of obvious, but I do like how Jennifer discovers he's the killer because in one scene she's trying to escape the killer and yep. she ends up in the. Um, in the, the the cooler that uh, has all the meat hanging on it, right? And she stabs him. And with she the, stabs him with the uh, the, the hook that's yeah. used to, to grab the meat. And then eventually she bumps into Craig, and he gets knocked out. And then uh, you know, Bill, Bill, Bill shows, shows up, up and, and it's like hugging and like a reunion. Like, he, and like, yeah, and then I was like, knocked out with a hammer outside. Yeah, yeah. And then he's going to call the police, and then she discovers she's got blood on the side of her yeah. shirt. And then she looks over at Bill, and she sees the bloody hand, and he's on the phone. And then, of course, it reveals the whole thing. And he goes over and grabs her. And because his hand's all sticky with blood, it pulls off a piece of her hair, if you notice. Oh, no, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was intended, but right. if you look, it just pulls, and he just looks at it like, 
ah, I'm sorry. But you know what I really really liked is the tracking shot where he's where she's running out through the aisles of the the checkout stand and he's on top and she's chasing her like she's she's on the ground yeah, he's, on the, he's on top he's jumping, jumping yeah. on top of the checkout stands yeah. and that, that was, was a really effective cool yeah, scene yeah I like that now there is a continuity problem though in regards to because as it turns out you know uh, uh, Craig eventually you know comes to and and uh, tries to help her yeah, out yeah, but of course doesn't he get like stabbed in the neck no not that it's it's you know he got you no know, what happened was now if you go back to the movie. Uh, Renee Estevez's character, when she leaves, mm-hmm. she goes out to her car. She's carrying a, a you know, groceries. Yeah, groceries. She's carrying like a twelve, like a box yeah, full yeah. of Corona. Which, by the way, you know, uh, side note about uh, the. Oh, the, there's tons of product placement. In well, this yeah, movie. but let's talk for a moment. I gotta tell you, because as someone who stocks beer as uh, as a part time job, and as, I a grocery, profession? No, as, as a profession, I would say profession. Well, as a profe- <laughs> profession at my grocery at the grocery store I work at. Uh, this is one of those movies from the 80s where you can just see generic beer all over the place. Right. Like you've got you've got standard beer, but you've got generic beer like Meisterbrow and Chihuahua. You have and then you have the classic beer where it's just a white can and just, it's just a beer, beer on it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was just laughing like, my God, what's with this? Yeah, and at one point, there's like a bottle of beer that has like a white carton. It's a six pack. And it just says beer on it. Right. Well, yeah. And it's funny because you, like you said, you, you would, in other products too, you'd have you see the Fruit Loops by Kellogg's, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you see just cereal, and then you see detergent, and then you'd see Tide. And at one point, you. See a white box says laundry detergent. Yeah, like, yeah. how generic is that? Yeah. See, is there a factory that just says laundry detergent? Is well, there a beer factory that just well, says beer? Back, back, I want to say back in the eighties. I want to say I remember seeing like just like when you when you had generic, it was generic. Yeah, at, at, at certain grocery stores that will remain nameless, but where it was just black and white. It said detergent, uh, or it said yeah. it said like you know. Cheerios, but not Cheerios. It was whatever the you know wheat wheat circles or whatever. <laughs> but Krusty's Rusty O's, <laughs> you know. It's a reference now with one vitamin, yeah. <laughs> oh, or, yeah. Or in case of Krusty's brand, you know, now a flesh eating bacteria yeah. inside. So, anyways, so, no. So th- there's a continuity issue where, when in, in involving uh, Craig, because he says he's he says he um, well here, uh, the scene is. Um, Renee Estevez's Linda character goes out to her car right. and puts, you know, like putting the groceries in there and then she closes the trunk and then all of a sudden the killer is there and she gets stabbed, basically, off mm-hmm. screen. We don't see anything bloody at that point. Yeah. And then we see Craig, you know, lurking around, you know, looking through the window of the um, of the back of, of, of the, um, the back wall of the store because um, – um, Jennifer is in the bathroom changing her shirt because this is the involving. It was an issue involving her having nosebleeds. Right. And then of course Bill comes out and sees him, and they get into a fight. Mm-hmm. And then Bill gets knocked out. Mm-hmm. And then basically Bill's now all of a sudden going on a rampage, killing people. Mm-hmm. But when Craig tries to get her and tells her what happened, he says. Uh, Bill knocked him out, and he saw him, mm. and he oh, saw okay, him, okay. and he saw him kill Linda. But we never see that happen at all. So it's a very, very weird. Okay. weird... I, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Yeah, because I, I, I remember catching that once. I mean, there's a very weird scripting issue in this movie. I mean, again, it's not a perfect movie, but I remember catching that, going, "Well, wait a minute, you weren't knocked out. You knocked out Bill, which makes us think that you're the killer." But then you're telling her, 
that Bill knocked you out and you saw him kill Linda, but he already killed Linda before you got into the fight. Oh, I know. Wow. I'm not trying to read deep into this, folks. I'm serious. But it's just it just stuck out at the time when I first saw this movie. Right. So it's like even then I was like, oh, well, that, that could have been fixed. But what I found hilarious is that Craig had to tell Jennifer how to get out of the store. Yes. Which, which, yes. Go through the, the back door, please. No, 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 through the window. Through the window, <laughs> oh, through the, the, window the back door. I'm like, wouldn't Would she, she know, know that, that more than he did? Because he's she's been, been in the store, at that store like, for years. Yeah, she's, he's been in there for what, maybe three hours? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, so then, uh, you know, and we get this great cat and mouse sequence where, you know, um, Biddle is really going crazy. Like at one point, she takes the long knife and tries to stab him. He grabs it. Yeah, is this guy Robocop? I mean, seriously. No, <laughs> but he's just. But, and I love the humor they inject in it, too, where like he's chasing her with the, the meat cleaver and then he stops for a woman to put up the. The knocked over uh, laundry detergent. <laughs> I mean, and again, that's, and that's Scott Spiegel's humor. He just stops and goes, "Come on, fix my store up," you know. And yeah, he goes yeah. off and he chases her, and she gets out. And then uh, I love when. Well, we should talk about how it ends because yes, yes, because she gets yeah. to the car and she finds Linda's body with one of the knives stuck in her chest. Right. And then, of course, Bill grabs her from underneath the car, and he's laughing maniacally, and we're all sitting there going, holy shit, what's going to happen? And, and, and there's a struggle. And then she gets into this totally 80s, a payphone booth. Well, no, wait, wait. But we got. But before that, before that, she she grabs the knife, and she's hiding it, obviously. Oh, yes, but, yes, yes. But yes. I love what he says to her. He fills her out. And again, this is Scott Spiegel at his craziest, coming up with these weird, like, ridiculous gags because he's into Three Stooges and all that stuff. Right. He pulls her out and he says, he picks up the cleaver and he says, leave it to cleaver. Oh. And then she says, she, she says, you know, suck on this and stabs him. And then he's like, where'd you get the knife? <laughs> and then he falls backwards. And as soon as he lands, the knife shoots out of his chest and it lands on a box on the blade next to him. <laughs> that I mean, as silly as that is, that is a cool way to just like do something different in the slasher film mode. It's a joke. It's a yeah. gag. But it's so funny and bizarre and goofy. So then now, yeah, so she, she she's goes to the payphone. She's trying to call, call the cops. And I love when they always call the cops. Do you ever listen? They say, are you in danger, ma'am? Yeah. <laughs> well, what what number can we get for you? And then, of course, Bill breaks the, yeah, like, the, 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 the glass. The, the, the knocks, glass. And he knocks over the phone booth, which is just weird and insane. I it's mean, weird, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, it's like this phone booth is made out of nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's like, ah, and then Craig shows up and then starts like whacking at him with the the meat cl- meat cleaver, which was really crazy. The blood yeah. just goes flying. Yeah, and at one point hits him like between his fingers. Yeah, it's like, oh. he's like, ah, you know. But you're like, come on, well, goddamn it, you he won't be doing any typing soon. Oh <laughs> yeah. So then at the end, and I, I gotta be, honest, I I do like this movie. But I gotta, I gotta tell you, I, I do not like the ending. I really find the ending uh, so disappointing and just not doesn't deliver. Basically, at the end of the movie, it's basically um, Craig and Jennifer, like the only two survivors, and the cops show up. The cops, by the way, played by Bruce Campbell yes. and producer Lawrence Bender, and they immediately assume that these two killed all these people in yeah. this store. Without even being, with, not even being on that scene for 30 seconds. Yeah. Didn't even get out of their car and, yet. And then, if you want to, it's even worse for them because Bill is not fully dead. He wakes up and he's all bloody and he's like laughing. laughing. He goes, they did it. They killed everybody. But, they, then, but, but the cops have already assumed yeah. they, that even before Bill even opened his eyes. I know. And they haven't even gone in the store yet. Oh they haven't done God. anything. I know. And, well, no, and eventually he does, Bruce Campbell does go in there. 
he says it's a bloodbath in there, and but but they don't even. But it's like, you know. And then but, they, what did, but truthfully, what did he? What did Bruce? Cam- what, what did the Bruce Campbell's police officer's character see within the ten seconds he walked? I know. Away? Yeah. There wasn't yeah, even yeah, any yeah. blood in the front of the store. I mean, these guys were. There was, well, there was that hand that was thrown into the lobster tank. <laughs> <laughs> but it made it seem like he'd seen it all already. Yeah, like, yeah. And these bodies were strewn all over in the in the back. Of, yeah. you know. And then it's like, and then you get the nice ending shot where you think all of a sudden, okay, Danny, Bill's dead, and all of a sudden he wakes up again, and then Jennifer screams, and the camera zooms in, and it's the end. And yeah. it's like, I mean, I don't like the ending, honestly. I think it's it's a very, very depressing ending. Yeah, and it's and it's very open ended, leaving leaving Bill to be. Yeah. It's like they almost left it wide open for a sequel, which they never yeah. did. But I gotta say though, even with the ending, I don't like, and like I said, even though it has some of some of the flaws, I do like Intruder to the extent where I think it's one of the more. It's not one of the better slasher films, but it's one of the I would say kind of the more unique slasher films that come out at that time at the tail end of the the slasher genre. You know, because when you you do so many of those ideas, you know, it's like, well, what else can you do? And then Scott's like doing the, you know, a murder a slasher film in a grocery store, and you know, and he's trying to do some inventive stuff. And like I said, some of the POV shots work, some of them don't. I do like the POV shot of the doorknob turning. Yeah, it's so yeah, weird. That, 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 that's fine. I, I just I had a, a personal beef with the shopping yeah, cart. POV shots in this are kind of overdone. It's like it's like imagine if they gave Scott Spiegel the budget to shoot the movie in 3D. Because <laughs> you see would, a shopping cart just coming at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would just be him going overboard with 3D. Yeah. But he goes overboard with POV shots. Really? Who uses a rotary phone nowadays yeah. anyway? Hey, so what? It's timeless. It's, it's, it's timeless. <laughs> but I love in the audio commentary. He says, Lawrence Finney says, people think that's the cash register. <laughs> it's like, does nobody not know what an old rotary phone looks like anymore? It's like, well, apparently not. <laughs> but uh, then again, the fact that the people couldn't tell that the 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 boss was being choked in between that bottle and saying that people thought he was being poisoned. See, I, didn't, I, I didn't see. I thought he, I thought he was being choked. I, I thought mean, he was too. I'm like, how, how do people think he was getting poisoned? Man. All right. Well. So anyways, yes, that's uh, that's Intruder. We uh, you so, know. Before we turn out the lights and lock the doors on the intruder, I have some fun facts. Oh, you do? Yeah. Well, you originally mentioned the, the film was originally entitled Night Crew, but distributors of the film felt that it would be more marketable if it was given a more generic slasher movie title, so it was released as The Intruder. Yeah, I think it was first called The Final Checkout then, and then it was called The Final Checkout. No, night, no, it was called Night Crew. Mm-hmm. Then it was called Night Crew, The Final Checkout. Then it was going to be called The Final Checkout, and then they'd settled for an intruder. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, let's see. Paramount uh, VHS video cover, along with various other DVD releases and the film's trailers, all reveal the identity of the killer, thus spoiling the film's dramatic tension, which yeah. is a big you know thing with us the here. The video did reveal it, and but I will say the Synapse Blu-ray DVD combo does a, doesn't rely on that cover as far as I remember. Yeah. So I mean, hopefully, I, I remember seeing just a, like, an old picture, and it it just it does show it shows like a faraway shot of um, Bill oh, oh. Bill Hicks' character standing yeah. in the in the and there's like this foreground. bizarre shadow yeah, of a exactly. demonic figure, and that's the other thing. You're like, well, so is he like a is he like a hidden demon that's going around killing these people? I mean, what's going on? You know? Yeah. Let's see here. Um, a few other ones here. Oh, the head in one hand and the sandwich in the other was a speech previously used in Raising Arizona from 1987. Right. Well, what's interesting about that, too, is Scott Spiegel talked about that in the commentary. Um, he wrote the – because I forget – someone that they knew, because I think it was Joel and Ethan Cohen as well, they knew a guy who told that story. Mm-hmm. And Scott Spiegel asked him to tell that story again, and he, he recorded it on tape. 
And he wrote that in the early draft of the script. And that was, the early draft of the script was way before Raising Arizona was mm. ever written. But keep in mind, though, Joel and Ethan Cohen always crossed paths with Scott Spiegel and oh, Sam no, Raimi. And so, so the connection between them, you know. So, yeah, but most people think that Raising, Air, that, that Raising Arizona put that line, that speech in there first. And then Intruder followed suit and just copied it. Yeah, interesting. It was actually the other way around. <laughs> okay. So, well, something something you learn. Yep, yep. Uh, director Scott Spiegel has a cameo as the ill-fitted bread man. Yeah. <laughs> which is hilarious. Which, hilarious and sad at the same time. Yeah, especially when the killer takes the butt of the knife and knocks his head right down. And then uh, I love that scene, too. He takes the keys out and points them at it. Yeah. yeah, sorry. <laughs> ah, here, here's something. The song that Randy, Sam Raimi sings, is also featured in the Evil Dead movie from 1981, directed by Raimi. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, the main musical theme of the movie was previously used in Transformations from 1988. Oh, uh, yeah, that movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, no, that. I, I got to mention this, too, because this I mentioned Charlie Band and Empire Pictures, and, and you mentioned Transformations, and I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with this one. But um, what happened with Empire was that they're um, – they had gotten into a credit uh, to a um, financial dispute with uh, a bank. It's called the Credit Lyonis Bank. I think it was in Switzerland. Where basically the bank was constantly loaning out money, but they were not getting money paid back because oh, okay. they were. So what happened during that period with Empire was they had a lot of movies that were in production and post production. So in the case of Intruder, you mentioned Transformations. <laughs> they both used the same stock music score. Well, you know, I, I, I found that a lot to be the case in a lot of different things where you, where you hear the same music in different things. Yeah, because what happened was that they didn't have a lot of money for post-production, so they actually had to reuse the stock music score from uh, Transformations. Which, by the way, if anybody checks out Transformations, you know, it, it's not that good. But anyways, <laughs> it's it's they're using the same music. And I think at one point Scott Spiegel in the audio commentary said that this was music that was used in, like, early episodes of Showtime or something like wow. that. Or or, or, or or Lifetime or whatever, you know, or something like that. So that's how far back these 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 stock music things went. But if you watch Transformations and Intruder together on a double a double feature, right. they both have the same music score. <laughs> so yeah, that's interesting you mentioned that. Well well I just got a few more. Um let's see. Emil Stika's character says the line, hold hands, you lovebirds. Emil Stika was known for saying this line in the Three Stooges shorts, which Sam Ray is a big fan of, like we mentioned before. <laughs> and it's also written on his tombstone. Um, let's see here. At one point uh, in pre-production, Toby Hooper was originally set to direct. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Oh, oh, the back of the DVD uh, release makes it appear that Renee, Renee Estevez is the heroine, uh, whereas <laughs> she is the first one to die. <laughs> Um, so other than that, that's pretty much what I got for uh, yep. uh, the intruder. That's or intruder. what I got too. Yep, it's just another another fun episode delving into eighty slasher films. Oh, well, that does it for us. Yep. But we'll be back ne- next month with a brand new episode. Episode yes. that's called That Hitchcock Episode, Dial P or Type P for Podcast. So, Chris, would you like to tell the audience what we'll be reviewing? Uh, yes, we are going to be reviewing Dial M for Murder and we're going to be reviewing uh, The Eagles. Oh, I'm sorry, I meant The Birds. <laughs> why am I referencing Hotel the, California? Yeah, why am I referencing The Eagles? It's, well, Eagles, Birds, whatever. But yes, we're doing Dial M for Murder and uh, The Birds. So, so. Uh, so stay tuned and uh, good night. Yep, have a good one, folks, and we hope you enjoyed this uh, recent episode. Thanks for listening.
Oh, son of a bitty, bitty, uh, son of a bitty, bitty, son of a bitty, 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 uh, gun. <laughs> you thought I was going to say uh, son of a bitch, didn't you? <laughs>